This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 189 for Thursday, June 20th, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call number 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so... We got a lot to discuss this week for episode 189. Obviously, we are 11 episodes away from the big MTR 200. Uh, Super pumped for that to think that we got 200 episodes under our belt. I haven't blown my brains out, and we've continued to grow and flourish the way we have. Um, I owe that, of course, to our incredible team, our supportive listeners, and you know those of us that have stuck through the the high points and the low points in getting this show off the ground. So, as always, I am eternally grateful for your support. Anyway, let's get into some housekeeping because there's a lot we got to go over. Uh, Next week's broadcast schedule right now is a a little tentative at the moment. The original plan was to try and get a show out on Thursday, but we will be working Consumer Electronics Week uh, Wednesday and Thursday. So, I don't know how many hours that's going to consume out of the day. But as of right now, all signs point to there not being a show next week, at least not a live show. If anything, I may do a quick taped show to get out some of the stuff we saw at Consumer Electronics Week, etc. But as of right now, there is no live show scheduled for next week. So, just in case you guys tune in next week, don't message me, hey man, is there a show tonight? There is no show, there's no live show next week. Otherwise, like I said, keep an eye out on your iTunes feed, RSS feed, etc. for any shows that I decide to tape and release that way. Speaking of iTunes, we recorded a brand new MTR behind the mic with the crew from Punching the Walls of Reality. We released that a couple of hours ago to the general public. We will also be releasing that on our site. Great great group of guys over there at uh, Punching the Walls of Reality. I actually was introduced to them by Devin Gamble from This Week in the Cinema, who was a previous guest on MTR Behind the Mic, and they were a kick-ass group of guys. Make sure to check those guys out at punchingthewallsofreality.com. And, um, you know, check out the interview. The interview's live, like I said. I actually was supposed to release it earlier this week, but we've been having some issues getting some stuff onto Libsyn, but... Since that stuff has been resolved, we got the audio out that way. I did want to mention one thing that um, really got my attention this week, and that is what's been going on with the um, Blog Talk Radio Network. A lot of people have been saying that 
Blog Talk Radio has been improving their audio. I mean, I personally have been listening to the feeds on BTR, and the feeds have been improving. I mean, a lot of you guys are really digging the Mixler feeds as well as the GFQ feeds on MyTakeRadio.com. So by all means, if you guys have a preference for a particular feed, let me know. The only reason I'm asking is because I'm really researching heavily how to move away from blog talk radio yet still maintain the call in format. One of the options we're looking at right now is setting up a Skype line and just having a Skype line dedicated to the show. And we can take calls that way. The only problem with that is that we obviously lose the call screening capabilities that blog talk radio affords us. But the issue is from a monetary standpoint, we're basically paying, you know, blog talk radio 40 bucks a month and with the majority of what we're using from their network is the call screening. Don't get me wrong. We have a dedicated audience on the blog talk radio side of things. And that's, that's really cool. And we appreciate the dedicated listeners from BTR. But in terms of just a, a management standpoint, there's just way too much going on in terms of having to monitor Mixler, blog talk radio, et cetera, et cetera. And ensuring that the audio reaches listeners on both platforms. But I will say this, uh, I'm not going to make the jump until we are 100% certain that there is a system in place that's not only easy for us to use, but also easy for listeners as well. So if you guys have any recommendations or any preferences, or if any of my fellow bro- broadcasters out there got any ideas, by all means, drop me an email, let me know what you guys think, and we'll take it from there. Also, I put a call out on our Facebook fan page earlier today with regards to looking for writers for the site. I'm going to be 100% honest with you guys. We are, well, me personally, I I am extremely overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that we're getting. And, um, you know, primarily on the comic side and even on the gaming side a little bit, only because, you know, we're doing all this stuff and working full-time jobs myself, Slick, and Andrea, uh, Quark and Blade go to school, Ben just started working a new gig, so we kind of, you know, need some some fresh blood in there to kind of boost up certain sections of the site that I really feel uh, could use a, a, a bit of TLC, uh, that being our comic section, we're getting a lot more stuff from Dark Horse, and we also started working with some other publishers as well. So we want to try and get some people involved on the comic side. Same thing with our tech side of the site. Um, a lot of stuff is coming out. A lot of stuff is going to be reviewed in the couple of, in the next couple of weeks. And it's just not enough hours left in the day. Trust me, I'd give anything to be able to run MTR full time and be able to do this stuff for you guys. But um, until then, we definitely need a couple of hands here or there. Um, of course, we are looking for writers interested in writing full time. I mean, I will welcome guest posts here and there. I have no problem with that. But we need a dedicated group of individuals that are interested in writing on a full-time basis. Uh, minimum, you know, four articles a month, one article a week. Uh, nothing too crazy. If you want any details with regards to that, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. Or look for the Write for MTR application on the site. Fill that out. Uh, send us a sample of your work. And we will be in touch. Our Get Glue check-ins continue to grow by leaps and bounds, so I appreciate all of you guys checking in on Get Glue. Much appreciative. Uh, the t-shirt thing, we kind of took a break on pumping out any kind of different t-shirts, the t-shirt designs, only because uh, we're trying to come up with a more effective pricing strategy 
that right now is really not the best strategy in place because we're using a third-party vendor that handles all our fulfillment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And with that in mind, obviously, it makes it difficult to put out new designs and get stuff out there without charging a decent enough price for the vendor, obviously, to make money and for us as well. So the T-shirts right now, whatever's on the MTR T-shirt store is what's available, but hopefully we will revisit that in the future and try and push that through or start working with another vendor. But rest assured, there are some shirts if you are interested in picking one up. All right, so we got a lot to discuss tonight. We got this past weekend's UFC event. I know Ben had wanted to call in, so he's welcome to do so if he's listening. Um, Also, we were scheduled to get a call in from Amazing Red between 11.45 and midnight to discuss the high-intensity House of Glory event this coming Sunday. So those are our expected guests for this evening. Um, Obviously, all of that is subject to change, but either way, that's what we're looking at right now. We got a lot of articles on the site, published the Man of Steel interview. I mean, excuse me, interview Man of Steel review, which is on the site. You guys can check that out, along with a host of trailers and other stuff as well, and including a very, very awesome article by Quark. Uh, discussing the violence in video games, and he was citing The Last of Us throughout that article, and it was just uh, a very well-written piece. Got to give credit where credit is due. Quark definitely brought his A-game. I recommend you guys check that out and share your thoughts on our fan page or on the site. Let Quark know what you think, and I'm sure he will be glad to respond. All right, so here's what's on tap for tonight. We're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC pay-per-view. We got WWE Payback. A uh, very impressive episode of Monday Night Raw this week. And, of course, we have all the week's MMA, video game, pro wrestling, and entertainment news as well. Anyway, let's get right into it and get the ball rolling with some MMA. My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get all your favorite MMA gear at MMAWarehouse.com, including fighter walkout shirts, rash guards, MMA gear, etc. Make sure to check them out, MMAWarehouse.com. You can also find their banner on MyTakeRadio.com. Click the banner, helps us out. Plus, you can go to MMA Warehouse and get a ton of awesome gear as well. So, let's get right into it with this past weekend's UFC event, which was, without a doubt, A crazy event. It was probably one of the, for me personally, one of the least enjoyable cards in recent memory. And that stems from a couple of things. Number one, just the constant changes on the card, which just didn't do it any favors. The other thing was I just, I just didn't feel invested in some of the fights that I wanted to see. I was really, really bummed with the way that went, but Overall, if I had to say this card would have probably benefited more from being a televised card on Fox or Fuel or um, FX versus being a, you know, $59.99 pay-per-view HD card. But again, that's just my opinion. But a couple of people I spoke to shared that sentiment. And I just want to pluck out a couple of fights I really enjoyed. 
Sam Stout versus James Krause was one of those fights. An extremely competitive fight from start to finish. Krause looked extremely w- good in the first round. Uh, round was coming to a close with Stout using butterfly guard to get back on his feet. And Krause broke out the cartwheel kick. It didn't land, but it was just definitely an impressive sight to see. Uh, Sam Stout started to hit his groove in the second round. Looked really good. Uh, secured top position to close out the second round, dropping some elbows to close it out. Uh, the third round, though, very, very impressive. Um, with 30 seconds, practically 30 seconds left on the clock, uh, Kraus secured an arm in guillotine and forced uh, Sam Stout to tap within 15 seconds. It was a beautiful, beautiful finish and one of the first finishes of the night. A lot of people felt that it was too many decisions going on, so... You know, James Krause cracked that cherry open with the submission of the night, which he secured a bonus for as well. The other fight I was really looking forward to was Jake Shields and Tyron Woodley. I expected this to be a slugfest. These guys were going to go out there and have a war. But unfortunately, it was just... I don't want to say it was a boring fight. I hate calling fights boring because, obviously, you know, it's it's not the fighter's fault. But I honestly think that the... The, the contrast of styles hin- hindered that fight totally. I think T. Wood was going in there trying to utilize his wrestling. Jake Shields was having none of it. And a lot of people were just expecting T. Wood to stand a- in the pocket and knock out Jake Shields. That was not the case. And obviously the the result that was he- was rendered for this fight was not the result that people wanted. And that was Jake Shields securing the victory via split decision. I honestly think that it was a uh it was incredibly close. I mean that third round with Woodley hitting the spinning backfist on Jake Shields was was an incredible an incredible backfist. Jake Shields has a tremendous chin. I'm shocked he didn't get knocked out with that. But I, I kind of feel that that T Wood did get robbed in this fight. I also felt that T Wood should have gone in there and been the aggressor a little bit more so. I'm sure he he was respecting Shields' hands and BJJ game, but let's be honest, if you don't go out there and take some risks, you're going to get your ass whooped, so, you know, I was bummed for T-Wood, but I'm sure he will bounce back and be back in the win column sooner rather than later. Anyway, on the pay-per-view side of things, really pumped for my boy Pat Barry to come in there and do some damage, and once again, it was just not my night as Pat Barry got caught by Sean Jordan with a ridiculous, ridiculous flurry of punches. Uh, Pat Barry got tagged with a couple of them, ate a a barrage of uppercuts and short punches, and that was it. First round finish for Sean Jordan, 59 seconds into the first round. Bummed for my boy Pat Barry, but win, lose, or draw, I'm a a fan of his. I like watching him fight. He's super exciting, and I'm sure he'll bounce back and be back in there in no time. The women took center stage in a women's bantamweight bout. Alexis Davis took on Rosie Sexton in a, in a very, very competitive fight. Um, Rosie Sexton definitely in the first round looked extremely impressive with uh, securing some tremendous damage on Alexis Davis. But Davis really came into her own in that second round. And in the third round as well, she started looking really good. Alexis Davis wins that fight via unanimous decision. On the light heavyweight side of things, Ryan Jimmo... Uh, met Igor Porkryat. Uh, very solid fight. I like why, watching Ryan Jimmo fight. Um, again, though, very, um, you know, much like that T. Wood, uh, Jake Shields fight, it was it was just a lot of, not a lot of, of methodical work, but just 
It wasn't moving at the pace that a lot of people expected it to move at. Uh, nonetheless, I, I was really happy that Jimmo won, but the crowd definitely was not digging it. On the heavyweight side of things, Big Country Roy Nelson met Stipe Miocic in what I thought was going to be a slugfest that would end with Roy Nelson being the victor. Once again, Stipe Miocic played the role of spoiler, dropping tremendous, tremendous damage on Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson ate so many shots that um, I, w- I was just dumbfounded that he was able to secure himself a victory. It was insane. But I will say this, I was I was still you know happy for Roy Nelson's performance. He didn't lose in my book. I think he just he just weathered an incredible storm. He had tremendous heart, but um, considering how how low Dana White thinks of uh, Roy Nelson, I wouldn't be shocked if Roy Nelson is given another fight uh, that would truly secure his exit from the organization. Dana White has gone on record numerous times speaking poorly of Roy Nelson. Um, you know. It's uh, it's crazy that the way that that fight went down. Like I said, it was I expected Roy Nelson to come out there and 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 murder, death, kill Stipe Miocic, and just I was bummed, man. I was really bummed to see it go the way it went. But Stipe Miocic is a a, a tremendously talented fighter. He's appeared a couple of times on Fight Insight Radio with our friends Spill Bag of Ice and and MMA and and Gary, of course, Fight Insight Gary on Twitter. And he was just always incredibly humble, extremely entertaining. And you know what? Even though he won the fight and he beat one of the guys that I'm a fan of, it, w- it was a cool fight nonetheless. Anyway, our main event of the evening was Rashad Evans and Dan Henderson, which was, um, yeah, it was, it was okay. I was, I was bummed only because the, the way I see it is, um, the, well, let's let let's look at it a couple of different ways. Rashad Evans is coming in, great wrestling, great stand up. Hendo, of course, got the H bomb, and um, you know it's it's crazy because in Hendo's case, I expect him to come out there and catch Rashad Evans a la Lyoto Machida, but I, I I think Rashad Evans got himself a a steel plated chin implant because he ate some some solid shots from Hendo. Uh, first round, Hendo looked super aggressive, trying to go in there. Um, Hendo was working the jab. I think he definitely hurt Evans a little bit. Um, guy started slinging the leather to close out that first round, but it was extremely close in my opinion. If anything, I'd give it to Hendo only because you can tell that the jab definitely in- hurt Rashad Evans a little bit. Uh, going into the into the second tilt, uh, Rashad Evans definitely more aggressive, working the clinch. Um, a lot of short shots in there. Really putting in some work, uh, I, you know. I, Henderson did land an elbow in the clinch to close out the second round, but Evans definitely more aggressive. He was more in the zone, found his range, ready to rock and roll. On the third round, though, Evans looked um, he looked good. He was more aggressive coming in, working. You know, there was definitely some caution in there. No, neither guy was throwing caution to the wind because obviously they respected each other's hands. Uh, Evan, Evans actually shot in for a single, but didn't secure it towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of the third Hendo landed some elbows. Um, again, Evans working that clinch work, but again, it, it just, it wasn't enough in, in Hendo's case to secure himself the victory as Rashad Evans take the fight, takes the fight via split decision. Um, I think that Rashad Evans was fighting very conservatively because he didn't want to go in there and, and get caught by Hendo. 
I, I respect that. Obviously, if you were Michael Bisping, you know exactly what happens when you shortchange and you try and go in there and really exchange with Hendo. A lot of times you will get the H-bomb and it's lights out. But I will say Dan Henderson is still a force at 205. Rashad Evans moves up in the rankings and gives himself uh, a legit case to, to look good going forward. But like I said, I wasn't I wasn't super into the way that fight went. But, you know, it is what it is. On the bright side, though, hopefully we can get to see um, good old Hendo take on Vanderlei Silva. I would I would definitely love that. Just because that's a fight, you know, pride fighting uh, fanboy that I am, I would love to see that. Um, no worries, but it is what it is. Hopefully we'll get that. I mean, Vanderlei and Chael is also on my radar. And, you know, hopefully we'll get that as well. All right, so let's get into the other MMA news that we got to discuss. And uh, why are my why are my notes getting all weird? Hold on, let me refresh this. I'm also getting some texts from Amazing Red and uh, some Twitter stuff as well. People want to know what's going on with the chat. So let me just answer that real quick. Just um, bear with me. I, I think Slick went to see World War Z tonight. So he uh, he is not with me at the moment. I'm sure he'll be here later on and he'll have some stuff to share with regards to World War Z. But ah, here we go. Notes are refreshed and we are ready to rock and roll. So I forgot before I get into the other MMA news, I did want to talk about two other things, uh, the World Series of Fighting. And I did want to talk about Bellator, which came back on air this weekend. Uh, the big thing from World Series of Fighting that everybody was talking about was Josh Berkman taking on John Fitch. Now, the reason that this fight uh, received so much attention this week was because uh, Josh Berkman secured a ridiculous guillotine choke on John Fitch, pulled half guard. John Fitch went out cold, and the ref, of course, Steve Mazzagatti, had no idea that Fitch was out. Berkman actually had to release the choke to let the ref know that he was unconscious. It was a, a beautiful submission. I have to give Josh Berkman all the credit in the world. John Fitch got caught out there. It happens. But it was just crazy that Josh Berkman had probably one of the nastiest guillotines I've seen in a, in, in the last couple of months. And it was in tight. You could actually see just John Fitch's head turning burgundy from that. I was I was tripped out. I was like, holy shit, this guy's dead just because of the way it went down. And, you know, of course, there's always going to be a lot of commentary about Mazagati's officiating. And personally, I was I was bummed out that he didn't catch that. It could have injured John Fitch, caused some serious damage. And I commend Josh Berkman not only for being a professional, but for doing the right thing and realizing that his opponent was out and letting go of the choke. So definitely one of the highlights that made its way through the MMA news grapevine this week. Also, the fight with Jacob Christmas Volkman and Lyle Beerbaum was surprisingly good. Jacob Volkman got it. His victory via unanimous decision, of course, Volkman was released by the UFC, picked up by World Series of Fighting, and he went in there and got himself a solid victory. He looked really good in all three rounds, incredibly incredibly aggressive, even though the crowd started booing in the second round. But it, it, it wasn't Beerbomb's greatest performance, but he, he, was, he was decent out there, and Volkman was Volkman. You know, he's a cagey guy, he's a veteran. He went out there and he fought, he fought his style of fight, and he won via unanimous decision. Um, on the flip side, we had Bellator come back this week 
and a lot of great fights on the Bellator side of things, moving to their new time slot on Wednesday. A lot of great fights, of course, the return of King Mo, the debut of War Machine. Uh, it was it was a great night from start to finish. Uh, War Machine took on Blas Avena in a welterweight fight. Uh, War Machine took the fight via TKO in the first round. It was it was an impressive performance by War Machine. Ended up uh, securing the side control with an outside trip. He got a crucifix in and just started unloading on Blas Avena. Of course, the fight had to be stopped because Avena couldn't defend himself. So War Machine gets his first victory at Be- in Bellator. Uh, Jacob No took on Renato Babalu Sabral. I was um, rooting for Babalu. Babalu's a a mainstay in mixed martial arts, and uh, Jacob No was having none of it. Ended up securing the victory via TKO at 3 minutes 32 seconds in the third round with some incredible, incredible stand-up. It was, it was ridiculous. You know, Babalu had to pretty much get rescued by the ref because he was, he was just getting murder-death killed in there. The light heavyweight tournament opening round had King Mo taken on Seth Petruzzelli. And what I expected Seth Petruzzelli to go in there and try and play the role of spoiler, King Mo was not having any of that shit because what ended up happening was this. You got knocked the fuck out, man! That's pretty much what happened. King Mo with a beautiful, beautiful standing. It was, it was just ridiculous the way that he caught him because, you know... Petruzzelli hit him with a leg kick, stunned King Mo a little bit. Mo got the takedown. Um, you know, from there, he dives down and just started pounding on Seth Petruzzelli. It was it was ridiculous. It was um he pretty much got knocked out with a punch from full guard. It was disgusting. The the it was crazy though, because the way the the setup was, I thought, oh man, Petruzzelli got him a little stunned with that leg kick. You know, King Mo definitely flinched a little bit on that, but Mo went to his bread and butter, which is the wrestling shot in for the takedown, and that was that. It was it was tremendous. Um, you know, I can't say I can't say anything bad about it, King Mo, especially after the loss he sustained. He was going in there looking to redeem himself, and he wasn't fucking around. He went in there and put Seth Petrozelli to sleep. King Mo moves on now in the light heavyweight tournament qualifying round, which I believe is going to be going down in July. So. We'll see what the deal is with that. Uh, everybody's sending me tweets and texts. I don't know what's going on with the chat room. People are telling me that the chat is uh, quiet. Unfortunately, I can't help that. Uh, Got to send a tweet out. See, this is what happens. You need a, a second set of hands to get a lot of this stuff done. I, if you want to be a, a backup production person on MTR, drop me a line because... Um, it's it's way too much to do at in one instance, but whatever it is, what it is. Give me give me one second, guys. Kind of running on on one cylinder here. All right. Too many, too many things going on. I know if Red is listening, just, just call in. I'm sure I'll know it's you. Uh, all right. My apologies. Like I said, a little shorthanded this evening. So, uh, anyway, let's get into the rest of these MMA news because 
if I try and manage this chat, I try to manage the uh, Twitter, I'm just going to lose my fucking mind. So, yeah. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the news. Like I said, we got some fight of the night bonuses from the UFC side of things. $50,000 were given out. Sean Jordan took 50K for his KO. Krause took 50K for his submission and fight of the night honors. So he ended up walking away with $100,000. Now, we all know that Alpha Kadzingano had to withdraw from the season 18 of The Ultimate Fighter, coaching uh, alongside Ronda Rousey. She got injured, replaced by Misha Tate. Dana White, of course, went on record on MMA Junkie recently talking about that the beef between Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate is on some uh, is on some Ken Shamrock, Tito Ortiz level, which is it, it's pretty big for you to say that that's the level of beef these two women have because if you guys have been watching The Ultimate Fighter as long as I have, you guys know that the that the that the beef between Shamrock and Ortiz was without a doubt legendary on all cylinders but the beauty of it was that their beef didn't take away from the fighters themselves on the contrary what they ended up doing with that is that it got people it got people talking it got people more interested because the coaches genuinely hated each other there was such a a murder death kill vibe in there every time those guys were in the same room it, it you had three and four guys from their team looking to separate them at all times because it was it was a no-brainer that they were going to beat the shit out of each other. And Misha Tate and Ronda Rousey are no exception. Um, Dana White says, it's going exactly the way you thought it was going to be. Bad, dead serious. Misha and Ronda Rousey hate each other. It's literally crazy drama every day. It's irritating. He, he went on to say, of course, it's Ken Tito type stuff. I don't even know if some of the stuff will make TV. Those two do not like each other and their camps don't like each other. It's pure fucking mayhem every day. When asked about like the co-ed aspect, he said that the men and women are, are getting along well. There are some men and women that are who are serious and want to be in the UFC and want to fight for a living, and they're doing their things. I don't know if there's any romance. I don't see that stuff till it gets to the end. I know what goes on at the gym, and if I show up at the house, bad shit happen. That's all I know. So there you have it. I think part of it also can be attributed to Dana White, obviously being on the hype machine, trying to get people interested in Tough 18, but let's not kid ourselves Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate have always hated each other, right down to the weigh-ins when they fought in Strike Force, to you know stuff with Brian Caraway, you name it, it's it's happened. So I'm looking forward to this season because if you're comparing their animosity to Tito and Ken Shamrock, then I know for a fact it's going to be a crazy fucking season. Simple as that. While we are on the subject of the Ultimate Fighter, the UFC did confirm that we're going to get a new international installment of the series, which is going to be Canada meeting Australia. It's going to be called the Ultimate Fighter Nations. Uh, Patrick Cote will be coaching for Canada, and Kyle Noak will be coaching for Australia. That's obviously the 22nd edition of the show, and it's going to feature 170-pound welterweight fighters. Uh, I'm actually pumped for this. I think that the Ultimate Fighter series that take place in international markets sometimes are substantially more aggressive. I um, I think that the the craziest thing about that is that these international seasons we never see them here. We have to look for them on on the internet, or we gotta wait for months and months and months for for it to get released over here in syndication. And I think there's gotta be a way to show these seasons. While they're going on, whether it's constantly promoting them or maybe streaming them on YouTube, especially since the UFC now has a dedicated YouTube channel, 
I think it would really do some quite a bit to generate a buzz. And personally, like I said, I love the international seasons of the Ultimate Fighter. There's just extreme, extreme competitiveness there. Like I've always said, not to say that our American fighters aren't competitive, but the guys that are fighting out of you know Australia, Brazil, um, any of these other international markets, the fact is these guys, they're trying to look at fighting as a way out. It's not like they woke up and said, you know, I'm going to quit my job as a janitor and I'm going to fight professionally or, you know, I'm going to quit my job as a chemist and I'm going to test myself in the octagon. These are guys that live in, in the ghettos and in super violent areas in super in super impoverished areas that are looking for a way to get out. And sometimes that hunger is enough to, to make these fighters go out there and deliver some incredible fights. I mean, if you've seen some of the ultimate fighter seasons from Brazil, these guys go in there ready to kill each other, always full tilt, always ready to go. And it's just tremendous. So I'm, I'm hoping that, Canada versus Australia will will be just as good. Um, as of right now, it looks like we can expect that probably to debut in early 2014. Obviously, it's going to air in Canada on Rogers Sportsnet and TVA Sports and on FX Networks in Australia. If you guys have seen the Tommy Tollhold show, Triple THS, you guys know that the injury bug is running rampant once again in the UFC, this time affecting the one and only Anthony Showtime Pettis who injured his knee and had to be removed from his fight with Jose Aldo, he will now be replaced by the Korean Zombie. That card takes place August 3rd, so right now that card is shaping up as follows. Jose Aldo will be defending his belt against the Korean Zombie, Chan Sung Jung, Phil Davis and Lyoto Machida, Josh Koscheck is taking on Damian Maya, uh, Cesar Ferreira is taking on Clint Hester, John Lineker is taking on Phil Harris, on the FX side of things, Vinny Magalesh taking on Anthony Paroche. Sheila Gaff is taking on Amanda Nunes. Neil Magny is taking on Sergio Moraes. I probably fucked up that poor guy's name. The returning Dallas Latis will be taking on Tom Watson. On the Facebook side of things, a couple of good fights there. Robert Drysdale, of course, debuting in the UFC will be on that uh, Facebook card. Bristol Marunde will be fighting on that card. Ian McCall also fighting on the prelims, as is Ronnie Yaya. Again, that goes down August 3rd in Rio de Janeiro. So with the shifting of the Korean zombie into the title picture to take on Jose Aldo, Ricardo Lamas, unfortunately, is without a fight for UFC 162. So Tim Bocek versus Mark Munoz has been promoted to the main card in that fight's place. Lamas, like I said, was supposed to schedule the Korean was scheduled to fight the Korean zombie. But of course, the fight was canceled when the Korean zombie was put in the title fight against Jose Aldo. Dana White has gone on record saying that he will pay Ricardo Lamas his show money for the card regardless. Definitely a classy move on Dana White's part. Now, the crazy thing with this is that Showtime Pettis has been trying to get himself the fight with Bendo now that he cannot get the fight with the with Jose Aldo. The reason being that he feels that his injury will be healed up by then and that there's a better fight for the organization with him and Benson Henderson versus uh, Benson Henderson and TJ Grant. Now, while I'm sure that is the case, I feel that TJ Grant earned the opportunity for that fight and he should get it. Um, Showtime definitely is in the title picture in either weight class, but the fact is that the dude got hurt and if you're hurt, you're hurt and you got to wait. And you'll get your opportunity when you're 100%. I mean, this whole flip-flopping between divisions, trying to get in there, trying to 
kind of take the the shortcut to title shots is is not a cool move in my opinion. I, I like Showtime. Showtime is a, a an incredibly talented fighter, but let's not kid ourselves. It's definitely a funny style move going in there, getting injured. Well, obviously that wasn't intentional, but then using his time while he's healing up to get himself a fight with Benson Henderson. I really think that TJ Grant earned the opportunity and should get his shot. And of course, when Showtime gets better, he can challenge either Jose Aldo, if he still has the belt or Benson Henderson. UFC on Fox eight is final now taking place July 27th. Of course, uh, Demetrius Johnson is taking on John Moraga for the UFC flyweight title. Jake Ellenberger is taking on Rory McDonald. And those guys have been on Twitter back and forth for the last couple of weeks. Those guys are going to probably go in there and possibly commit a fatality on one or the other, because those guys, that's, that's how deep their beef goes. And it's always interesting to watch because Rory McDonald, he, he gets shit on a lot, but I think he's an incredibly talented fighter. Is he going to go in there and, and steamroll through Jake Ellenberger? I don't think so, but I think we are going to get a, a very promising fight of the night. Robbie Lawler is going to be taking on CR the Killer, which I'm super pumped for, and Liz Carmouche will be taking on Jessica Andrade. Again, July 27th, UFC on Fox 8. So, as I was mentioning earlier with regards to the World Series of Fighting, we know that you know Josh Berkman pretty much almost killed John Fitch. Um, the Nevada State Athletic Commission actually released a statement on it because Dana White was criticizing Steve Mazzagatti for the way Mazzagatti handled that handled that choke. Now, Keith Kaiser said the following. This was a great performance by Josh Berkman. It was a very strange and quick ending to the bout. It has nothing to do with the referee one way or the other. Josh took care of business, released the hold immediately, and stood up. Berkman was a little theatrical, flipping uh, Mr. Fitch over like a pancake away from the referee, which made it look kind of strange, but that was no fault of the referee or Mr. Fitch. Mr. Berkman's amazing performance over Fitch is what people should be talking about. Now, you know, Dana, when asked about Dana White criticizing Steve Mazzagatti, he said Dana likes to criticize even his own fighters. That's who he is. It has no effect on me. I, I do feel that, that the angle of the choke may have affected it, but Mazzagatti, you, if the guy wasn't intelligently defending himself, he was out. Simple as that. I, I do feel that there definitely is some blame. Is there enough blame to warrant him being a shitty referee? That depends on who you ask, but me personally, I think that it was it was questionable, to say the least. In some other title fight news, GSP and Johnny Hendricks is a go going down November 16th. It looks like all signs are pointing to it being UFC 167. As of right now, no other fights have been announced, but definitely... Put that date on your calendar for the title fight between GSP and Johnny Hendricks. Obviously, if GSP gets past Hendricks, what happens remains to be seen. Hopefully a super fight. Hopefully. Speaking of the welterweights, Hector Lombard is dropping to welterweight for his next fight. Usually, Hector Lombard walks around at a minimum of 220 pounds. He's working on his diet, and right now he's walking around at 192. Still has a long way to go to reap to make 170 as of right now. He's 1-2 in the UFC as a middleweight, and he's hoping to make his welterweight debut in the fall against Nate Marquardt. I like Hector Lombard. I've always felt that while he was definitely a big 185, he, he, he probably could cut down to 170, maybe shed some of that, some of that excess muscle, because obviously that's going to affect his conditioning. 
And I think he he'll do well at 170. That's a stacked division, and there's a tremendous tremendous amount of fights that will definitely get people buzzing once Lombard goes down to 170. So there's a little local. We're gonna get into some New York stuff a little bit, but of course it involves MMA, and that is that our beautiful politicians once again shaft MMA fans here in New York State by not allowing the bill to legalize MMA to reach the floor. Now, the way it goes goes around here is that Sheldon Silver, who is a complete bag of shit and a scumbag, um, he's he's been against MMA from the get-go, but more and more politicians are coming around, especially from a, from a monetary sp- standpoint and bringing in much-needed revenue to New York State, a lot more... Um, a lot more individuals are coming around the mayor. Um, a lot of, in the, you know, Mario Cuomo, our governor, they're all coming around and, um, you know, it's, uh, the crazy thing that gets me is here, here's how it works. And, and I, and I'm going to share it with you guys, New York state and New York city, obviously work with each other when applicable. But the problem is when you're dealing with the assembly, the assembly kind of likes to hold the city by the balls in the sense Sheldon Silver, he's, you know, he's, he's an old school politician, always been, he's always been against MMA and every chance he gets, he tries to, to sweep it under the rug. He said, um, you know, the vote would not be taken to the floor before the legislative session ends next week. Now it seems that, you know, more than 40 of the 104 Democrats oppose the bill but it could probably have enough votes to pass if it went to the floor. So it definitely can pass. It can happen. He said, you know, the Democratic conference determines the agenda. Now, we all know Lorenzo Fertitta and the UFC have been advocating heavily trying to get it passed. And it's it's just ridiculous the way that, you know, these politicians are looking at it. They've been using things like the UFC is anti-women, MMA is anti-women, that it leads to domestic violence. It's just just bullshit that they try to that they really try to get into. Let, let's look at it this way. Mixed martial arts now has women on the national stage fighting. So I don't understand how this leads to any sort of quote unquote domestic violence. And, and the fact that these politicians, these old ancient spirits of evil mumra looking motherfuckers that are up there, take it upon themselves to to really cite these these antiquated and stupid ideals regarding mixed martial arts legislation just just boggles my fucking mind. And here's the worst part. New York was one of two states that had banned the sport, Connecticut being the other, and Connecticut legalized it. It's ridiculous. You know Francisco Moya from, from you know from who's a Democrat here in Queens said that he's disappointed that New York didn't go through with it. I think that honestly you know, this sport with regards to generating revenue, it's, um, it, it, it just, it's insane the way that we can, we can legalize and we can invest taxpayer dollars into some stupid shit. Uh, one great example is let's look at, let's look at this. Our mayor, mayor, Michael Bloomberg putting through legislation to regulate the sales of large soft drinks because, you know, he's trying to do the right thing for people that are obese, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And here's the skinny with regards to that. 
you want to come out and talk about people should be, you know, not drinking large quantities of soda, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How about people stop being fat pieces of shit, start drinking fat free water and going for a walk? We don't need politicians making us the nanny state. It's stupid. It's, it's, it's embarrassing, not only to us as a state, but just to us as a city that our mayor has to sit there and babysit and handhold all these people that, that consciously choose to be obese. You want to drink a two liter bottle of soda on your own? You want to buy a double gulp from 7-Eleven every day? It's your body. Do whatever the hell you want. Regulating soft drinks is not going to bring in revenue that New York State and New York City needs. It's, it's, it's silly. And like I said, using using these these crutches like anti-women leading to domestic violence, anti-gay, it's it's ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. You know, Sheldon Silver's trying to use that it's anti-women after being thrown under the microscope for his mishandling of uh, Vito Lopez's sexual harassment scandal. Vito Lopez, of course, a politician here in New York City who decided to you know, flirt and be overly touchy feely with his female staff. But the way I see it, I figure within another year, a lot of these old fucks will be out and maybe we can get some MMA legislation in place. I really would like to see it go down, not only because it's good for the state of New York, but just because there's such a passionate and, and really, really dedicated fan base here in New York city. I mean, we, we had a UFC gym open up here, this past Saturday, it's uh, 10 minutes from my house. Um, I got to check it out briefly. I, I really would like to get in there and take some photos and share it with you guys on the site. But it is a, a, an amazing facility. Amazing. It has a full-size octagon. It has all the different instructors there teaching all the different disciplines that go into mixed martial arts. Plus all the usual gym stuff, you know, spinning, all that stuff. And just uh, um, incredible brand new equipment and Again, if the UFC can stamp their footprint here in New York City by opening gyms that are that are packed, packed. If you drive by that gym at 10 o'clock in the morning, that parking lot is full of people looking to, you know, learn different disciplines, whether it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, MMA as a whole. It, it, it needs to happen. Like I said, from a monetary standpoint, it would be tremendous for our city. It really would. Switching gears and going into Bellator a little bit, Bellator 99 is starting to take shape, taking place September 7th at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Um, Joe Warren will be facing Nick Kirk in the bantamweight tournament bout, and also middleweight champion Alexander Shmelenko will be in action defending his title against the Season 8 middleweight tournament winner, Doug Marshall. Of course, the main card will be on Spike TV, and the prelim fights will go down on Spike.com, of course, you can also watch those fights on My Take Radio as well. If you want to get those tickets for that event, you can pick them up uh, effective today on Ticketmaster.com. You can also pick them up at the Mohegan Sun box office with tickets starting at 30 bucks. So there you have it. If you guys want to go see Bellator and you're close to the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, you guys can go and check that out as well. Also, uh, King Mo's next fight, he will be meeting Jacob No. Uh, Vitaly Minikov is going to be taking on Ryan Martinez, and that's going down to Bellator 97. That's July 31st. Also on that card, Michael Chandler defending his lightweight title against David Rickles, and Ben Askren defending his welterweight title against Andrei Koroshkov. So there you have it. Also on that card, Rob Emerson taking on Patricio Ferre. 
The other bit of Bellator news I got to share with you guys, and I'm kind of bummed to report, is that with his loss this past uh, Wednesday, Renato Babalu Sobral has retired from mixed martial arts. Uh, kind of bummed. You know, Babalu was a staple. Not to say that he was a guy that was going to go out there and win titles anytime soon, but he was always a guy that went out there, had great fights, left it all in the cage, and, you know, I'm sad to see him go, but I also respect the fact that he he realized that he had lost a step and it was time to hang up the glove. So I definitely wish all the best to Babalu in all his endeavors. He was a great competitor in the UFC. Um, of course, he fought in Affliction, 1FC. He's been all over the place. He was even a former Strike Force champion. Um, he participated twice in the Bellator tournaments and, you know, staple in the UFC. It's all good, man. I mean, I'm bummed that he went out on the note that he went out, but I definitely... You know, I definitely got to attribute a lot of great fights to Babalu. And some Invicta news, I got to give a shout out to the ladies of Invicta FC as their card is officially slated to be airing not only on iPay-Per-View, but also on regular pay-per-view and satellite. So definitely congratulations to Shannon Knapp and the crew at Invicta FC as they secure pay-per-view rights for their card this coming July. That card is going down at the Ameristar Casino Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri. So if you're in Kansas City and want to check out some women's MMA, definitely look into Invicta. Visit InvictaFC.com for details. Uh, great title fight for that card. Marlos Kunin defending the, well, actually fighting for the inaugural featherweight title against Cyborg Santos. Um, also on that card, of course, Rose Namajunas, who I'm a fan of. She's the girlfriend of Pat Barry, but she is an incredibly talented fighter to watch. Um, she's taking on Tessia Torres. Julia Budd is also fighting on that card. Beck Hyatt is also on that card. Um, I was bummed because, um, oh, what is her name? Shit. All right, it'll come back to me. I'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, last bit of MMA news for this week. World Series of Fighting announced their fourth event taking place Saturday, August 10th. You'll be able to watch that. On NBC Sports, Tyrone Spong is fighting on that card, as is uh, Jay-Z Cavalcante. He's taking on Tyson Griffin. Nick Newell is fighting on that card, of course, debuting in that organization. And Gerald Harris will be meeting Jorge Santiago. So World Series of Fighting will be airing on NBC Sports, and that card goes down Saturday, August 10th. And you can check it out at the Citizens Business Bank Arena in Ontario, California. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's MMA news. We got a full plate of wrestling news for this week, and I know that the Amazing Red will be joining us as well uh, based on some of the tweets. Um, you know, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to definitely be a crazy chat because we got a lot of stuff to go into with regards to that. I'm sure he'll be calling in within the next 10 or 15 minutes, and once he does, I'll bring him on air. But you know what? Until then, we got a lot of wrestling to dis to discuss, and of course, Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, so we got a lot of crazy stuff going on with wrestling, and 
A lot of it is actually all good stuff. WWE definitely stepped their game up this past weekend with their payback pay-per-view and also with the preceding Monday Night Raw event. First up, let's get into the payback side of things. The opening match was Sheamus and Damian Sandow, which took place on YouTube. Um, a very, a very solid match between both of these competitors. I think that their, you know, quote unquote feud is definitely starting to run its course. Sheamus secured the victory, of course, with the brogue kick, which closed out the YouTube side of things and took us into the pay-per-view. Now, Wade Barrett met The Miz and Curtis Axel in the IC title match. Of course, Curtis Axel was replacing the injured Fandango, who uh, suffered a concussion at the hands of Zack Ryder um, earlier this month. And, you know, I really expected this match to be... I didn't want to say it was going to be subpar, but I felt it was going to be disjointed, to say the least. And I was shocked. Wade Barrett looked really good in there. He, he had great chemistry with The Miz. Curtis Axel steals the victory in a very, very uh, cool fashion. Um, at The way the match ended the sequence to close it out, The Miz had Wade Barrett in the figure four leg lock. Curtis Axel came in and pinned Wade Barrett before he could tap out. To the figure four, it's fitting that Curtis Axel wins the IC title, which of course was a title held by his father, and of course it was won on Father's Day, which was definitely very fitting. It was a uh, solid match. Curtis Axel looked really good in there. I know a lot of people are still not sold on Curtis Axel, but I will say that his relationship with Paul Heyman will do nothing but benefit his career, and I'll say this because Curtis Axel's mic work is what leaves thing you know what leaves a lot to be desired it's definitely not his wrestling the guy has a tremendous wrestling pedigree he goes out there and he definitely holds his own against you know all the other competitors on the roster and let's take into consideration this is a guy who's been training main eventers for their respective matches on pay-per-view especially he got he helped the rock prepare for his match for wrestlemania i mean any guy who's who's recruited by quote-unquote main eventers to help them prepare is definitely no slouch in the ring. Uh, like, a, a lot of people, they, they speak negatively of him because they're not allowing him to shine the way he should, but I think Paul Heyman will definitely see to that. So, definitely pumped for Curtis Axel winning, and a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, man, you know, why the fuck did they give Curtis Axel the belt? Blah, blah, blah. And you got to look at it like this. The Miz, if he gets the belt, it's a prop at this point. It's really nothing... That will help the Miz move forward on on the roster slot. Same thing with Wade Barrett. Wade Barrett, with or without a belt, is always a solid competitor. He's a solid performer. But Curtis Axel, he needed that belt to kind of validate his his legacy and his lineage. And considering that his father has such a lengthy lineage with that belt, it was only fitting. And of course, winning it on Father's Day was the icing on the cake, and it was definitely very cool to see. The Divas title match saw Caitlyn take on AJ, of course, accompanied to the ring by Biggie Langston. And I will say that this was probably one of the best women's title matches we've seen in recent memory. The fact is, Caitlyn, she, she's, she's on the cusp. She's on the cusp of definitely breaking out as, as a legitimate women's competitor. I think that the problem with Caitlyn is that she's, she really hasn't found a style that is her own. You know, she's she's a little bit of Beth Phoenix and a little bit of Trish Stratus, but she's not she's not there. She's not a hundred percent there with regards to her performance. I think that working with talent like AJ Lee, Natalia, Tamina, 
Um, Sarah Del Rey, if they actually bring her on television for once, would would do tremendous benefit to Caitlyn because Caitlyn has the the mainstream crossover appeal that could make her, you know, a legitimate performer that WWE can use to market their product. That's not to say that AJ is not the not a, a, a woman that can be utilized in that same role. I just feel that AJ is so well-rounded and she's being given the opportunity now to shine a little bit that I sincerely hope that if she's going to remain the champion for the foreseeable future, she remains a heel. I think AJ's best work has been as a heel thus far. Her her chipper, happy-go-lucky, geeky face role is okay, but it's her heel work that really has set her apart and it just shows that she's she's definitely more comfortable playing the heel in this particular feud. And her real-life friendship with Caitlyn really helps them work well together. I'm sure that this is not going to be the first match nor the last match between these two competitors. I will say, though, that in Caitlyn's case, she needs at least one or two matches with more seasoned and more talented competitors to really help her round out and find her character. Because that's what it is. Caitlyn is... Like, like I said, she kind of wants to work the strong style, but sometimes she gets caught up in the whole hair-pulling, typical garbage that, like, the Bella Twins go out there and do. Instead of relying on, on her looks and her strengths to wrestle in a style that works for her, she kind of fluctuates back and forth between, you know, being, like I said, the hair-pulling, screaming, you know, boob-popping-out type bullshit versus just being a solid in-ring competitor and hopefully like I said she'll she'll secure herself a feud or two with some solid talent that can really help her find herself on the U.S. title side of things of course Dean Ambrose defended against Kane in what was as always a tremendous match this match actually the ending a lot of people were kind of pissed off that it ended via count out but I will say that ending it in count out fashion worked twofold it didn't make Kane look weak because Dean Ambrose had to secure the victory via countout, but also it allowed Ambrose to look good and showcase that he is also very, very crafty. I know that the announcers go to great lengths to acknowledge how methodical and how dangerous Dean Ambrose is, but seeing it play out in the ring and in a match, it worked out well. And like I said, it, it kept it kept Kane strong and it really didn't hinder him in any shape in any shape, way, or form. So I'm definitely happy with the outcome in, in my personal opinion because, like I said, it didn't hurt either competitor. And Dean Ambrose looked tremendous. And Kane, I think Kane working with Dean Ambrose is allowing Kane to to really test his limits. I, I got to commend Dean Ambrose for t- attempting to um, do The Undertaker's old school. That was pretty cool. I, I definitely found that to be uh, very impressive. And for, if the rumors are to be believed... It's leading to Kane and The Undertaker reuniting as the Brothers of Destruction to take on The Shield at SummerSlam. Again, it's a rumor. Don't hold me to it, but I definitely wouldn't mind seeing that. Dolph Ziggler took on Alberto Del Rio in an extremely competitive match, which yielded an unexpected result, and that was that we got ourselves a bona fide double turn. You can see that... um, Dolph Ziggler, definitely the crowd is getting behind him, and the whole Del Rio face run has definitely run its course, and the way that it went down definitely brought it full circle with the double turn, and I'll be honest, I think that Del Rio reverting back to to heel status 
is is good for him only because Del Rio as a face, he was good. The crowd was into him a little bit. But it was just because, you know, they could chance C and Ricardo Rodriguez, they were digging. But I don't think it's, you know, it's it wasn't it wasn't something that would have bothered me either way, either him as a heel or him as a face, only because Del Rio without Ricardo Rodriguez is just drab as shit. He's another guy whose gimmick makes him a bona fide heel, and it's very hard for him to break out of that whole, um, you know, JBL light uh, overcoat that he's developed and branch out into a face that the fans can get behind. Sure, if you're Hispanic, you definitely want to cheer Del Rio because he's he's one of your own. You, obviously, my, myself being Hispanic, one of my own, but... Even even being Hispanic, I really didn't give a fuck about Del Rio. I'm I'm a hundred percent honest. I I don't I don't feel invested in Del Rio in the least, and I think part of that is because the wrestling move set that he has for a guy that's coming from such a storied lucha libre background, it just doesn't do him any favors. And I think that's definitely part of it. The other part is that just his gimmick is kind of soft. It's kind of shallow. So. It definitely isn't doing, it, it's not doing any favors. That's for damn sure. I will say this though, that Ziggler, even if he doesn't become a full-on face and works as a tweener, it, 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 the crowd is going to eat it up. And it, it was good. It definitely was good, um, you know, using, using Ziggler's concussion, um, definitely... Del Rio just using the the vicious kicks to get it over. It, it was tremendous. It was a solid performance. Del Rio wins the belt. I'm sure that Del Rio will not hold on to the championship very long. And not for nothing, if you go with the whole face turn for, for Dolph Ziggler, it's just going to be tremendous when he gets that face reaction. Now, before I, I get into the next match, which of course is the match that so many people were pumped to talk about, the video package for the return of Rob Van Dam of Money in the Bank aired right before Ziggler versus Del Rio. I was extremely excited for that. And the reason that it took me by surprise is because the internet, of course, nothing is sacred, nothing is safe. And we never knew, at least me personally, I had no idea that Van Dam re-signed with WWE, but it was definitely cool to see and... I, I was I was very happy. I, I was very happy because I think that Van Dam and TNA was extremely underutilized. I mean, part of it was because of his schedule, but just the the way that it went with regards to him being world champion in TNA, it was it just felt like he was always missing something. I do have to admit that his work with the X Division though was extremely impressive. Now, looking at the chat, Del Rio was saying that. I mean, uh, Slick was saying that Del Rio has a decent moveset. And I, and I agree with Slick. I think Del Rio has a tremendous moveset. But I have to go with what Mortis is saying, which is that Del Rio has no charisma. And it's true. That's the problem. It's, it's no charisma from Del Rio because Ricardo Rodriguez is the guy that sells all the charisma for them. Now, when you split, when you split them up, you'll see that Del Rio's weak Without Rodriguez, Rodriguez, exactly. Thank you, Slick. Rodriguez is his charisma. That is 100% true. Ricardo Rodriguez is the charisma for Alberto Del Rio. Because on his own, Del Rio is just very, very fucking vanilla. He really is. I think um, he's, 
Del Rio does have a lot to offer, but it's just not, he hasn't hit his stride. I think that the whole millionaire gimmick is a hindrance for him because you can't, you can't really allow him to expand into new territory because he's kind of pigeonholed in the whole rich guy gimmick. Now, for, for a guy like JBL, it was different because JBL went from, you know, he went from Justin Hawk Bradshaw, if you guys remember that, to an acolyte, to a member of the APA, to becoming the, the whole millionaire um, angle, you know, becoming the whole millionaire uh, JBL uh, elitist gimmick that he had. And you know what? That was a that was pretty much an evolution of his character. In Del Rio's case, you're bringing in a guy that is already pigeonholed in being the whole I'm better than you, I'm rich gimmick. You know who was also trapped in that gimmick? Ted DiBiase Jr., who was also pigeonholed in that, you know, I got my dad's money, blah, blah, blah. And the problem with that is that, again, Del Rio, the only way people can find him relatable is if he was just one of us. That's that's always what I felt is the problem with a lot of these guys that have the more you know, the the more unattainable gimmicks because the, the beauty of professional wrestling is that we root for the guys who are the underdogs, who are closest to us in some shape or form. And the reason I say that is because let's let's take a look at Daniel Bryan. You look at Daniel Bryan, he's not a super jacked up guy. He's not, you know, he, he's not the the stereotypical wrestler that you would expect. But you look at Daniel Bryan as as you know the guy next to you, the guy on the bus, the guy that's bagging your groceries. He's a regular guy. He's a hard worker, and and people can just he has that it factor that make people want to get behind him. Same thing with guys like CM Punk. You look at CM Punk, and even though it's a gag that that these guys make fun of the way CM Punk looks because he's not super muscular, etc. CM Punk is another guy that goes out there. He's a guy who's a, who's a, a staple, a veteran. A guy that that's just a regular Joe, but delivers great matches. I I feel that the guys who you can kind of gravitate toward gravitate towards are the guys that you feel a kinship with. That's not to say that you know you're not gonna be a fan of guys like The Rock or Batista or Triple H or Ryback or Brock Lesnar because you can be, but you're fan you're you're a fan of those guys for different reasons. And that's what I'm saying. Like me personally, I've always been, I've always been a fan of the, not to say the smaller guys, because that's a, that's a misnomer, but the guys who've had it, who've had a harder road into the WWE, because those are the guys that have really sharpened their teeth in other organizations and have improved their craft to the point when they make it to that main stage, they're at times leaps and bounds better than the in-house talent. Let's, let's look at it like this. Let's look at. CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Antonio Cesaro. Those are all guys that came into this business that are staples on the independents. And they come in here and they just do tremendous work. Now compare the guys I just mentioned to, I don't know, Ryback, Batista, Triple H, uh, even, even John Cena. Even John Cena, because you look at those guys, and those guys, they are uh, products of the WWE system. And again, that system isn't bad. I just feel that the WWE system is pretty much um, a consistent uh, 
conveyor belt of guys coming out looking the same. And the reason I say that is because you got these guys coming out. They're all these big jacked up dudes. They come out. They have the five or six moves of doom. Some are okay on the mic. Some are just shit on the mic. And these guys get pushed because of Vince McMahon's alleged big man fetish. Meanwhile, guys like Chris Jericho, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, you know, guys like that just languish, languish in in obscurity until they have to kind of take the bull by the horns and make themselves known. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. And and you know, not to say that I that I that I hate any of those guys because you look at those guys, they all have things that have contributed to the success of the business as a whole, but I just feel that the guys who are the smaller guys, the non-jacked-up juice monkeys, are the guys that have more to offer, not only from an athletic and competitive standpoint, but in terms of longevity. Look at Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's been working his style for years. Yeah, he's had little injuries here or there, but you don't hear, oh, Daniel Bryan tore his pec muscle or... You know, CM Punk tore his tricep getting out of bed this morning. You don't hear that. It doesn't happen. You know, it, it's the, the thing that gets me is the, the smaller guys, the only reason they're getting the opportunities they're getting is because, the, you know, a changing of the guard. They're realizing that these guys are better built, more athletic, and have, and have sharpened their craft on the road learning it from other organizations. So, you know, it is it is what it is. I, I honestly am incredibly happy to see guys like, you know, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, Punk getting their just due. The only guy that the only guy that's been bugging me and hopefully that's gonna change that hasn't been getting the respect he deserves is Antonio Cesaro. And that's just because obviously again, another another Ring of Honor standout. And I recommend those of you that are hardcore WWE fans listening to the show, do yourselves a favor. Look up the Kings of Wrestling with Antonio Cesaro and the one and only Chris Hero. Look up some of those matches. Look up some of Cesaro's matches in Ring of Honor, and you will see what what WWE is, is not cultivating, is not working with. You'll see greatness on display. Look at matches between Daniel Bryan and and uh, Tyler Black, which is Seth Rollins in WWE. Look up those matches, and you'll see that that these guys, the guys that WWE has on their roster right now, are the guys that are going to... They're the future. They are the future of this business. Simple as that. Anyway, let's get into this next match, of course. CM Punk, with accompanied by Paul Heyman, taking on Chris Jericho and and what, of course, was going to be a five-star classic. These guys went out there... CM Punk's hometown pop was amazing. It was amazing. As soon as he came out, that crowd was... And the crazy thing, you know, he came out, has a Caesar Gracie jiu-jitsu hoodie on, little Chicago Blackhawks beard, uh, gear and his little Wolverine beard. It was, it was tremendous. The crowd went insane. Chris Jericho, again, a guy that just consistently puts over younger talent and makes him look good. The match was was amazing. It was just tremendous from start to finish. It was a great return for CM Punk and above all else really gets CM Punk back in line to do another run as a face or a tweener in the company. So definitely uh congrats to Punk with that match and again Chris Jericho was amazing in this match. 
Reigns and Rollins took on Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton and was in what was a very competitive match. I mean, I have I have my uh you know, I have my feelings of uh you know, disdain for Randy Orton on occasion, but he looked good in that match. I think it's funny because Randy Orton and and this is something I've said before, Randy Orton sometimes goes in there and he looks like he's going through the fucking motions. He he really just goes out there and he's like yeah, my name and my status in this company will keep me here forever because they won't let me go because they'll know TNA will sign me in a heartbeat. And I think at times he really he really rests on that and he really feels that, you know, he he's untouchable. Not to say that that's the case, but in this particular match, he definitely was extremely motivated. He was in there with three awesome competitors and it worked. It worked well. I'm glad that they didn't give the belts to RK, no. Um, fact is, Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton, they were okay as, uh, together, but Daniel Bryan really needs that singles run, and Randy Orton, he needs a, a decent feud. Uh, may, maybe a feud with Curtis Axel would be nice for the IC title, would give Randy Orton a, a fresh face to work with, and um, I see a lot of people are talking about Mark Henry in the... Um, in the chat room, I will talk about Mark Henry at length when we get into Raw, guys. So definitely don't think that I forgot about good old Mark Henry. And I also got a text from Amazing Red that he will be calling in momentarily. So I'm sure Slick will let me know when that happens. But I will say that with that take, taking that into consideration, I know that MTR will definitely go into overtime this evening. Anyway, last match of the night, of course, three stages of hell which we all knew it was going to go exactly the way it went with one guy taking the pinfall on one end and another guy taking a pinfall on the other end. And, of course, the inevitable ambulance match. Um, you know, let's let's look at it like this. The Lumberjack match was, was okay. You know, Ryback got the pin there. Definitely got to commend John Cena for doing the big dive onto all the Lumberjacks. I give, I give him credit. I give him definitely credit for that. It was cool. I, I I'm sure I'm sure Vince McMahon shit himself. Damn it! What the hell is he doing? You know, and, and John Cena is like thinking, channeling his inner Jimmy Superfly Snooker. But it was cool. It was a nice high spot for the match, and it it, it worked. Uh, the tables match, you know, attitude adjustment through the table. We knew that shit was coming. Now the ambulance match, um, very cool. I think the ending was what really put it over the top. Doing the. Uh, the attitude adjustment through the roof of the ambulance. Ryback heads to the medical facility. Um, not really the case as Ryback did refuse medical attention, but if anybody thought that Ryback was going to get the title, I didn't think so. Only because if anybody should get the title is an individual that I will discuss in the Raw segment, even if it's for one month, because damn it, that fucking guy has earned it. And we'll discuss that in a few minutes. So, WWE Payback definitely one of their best one of their best pay-per-views thus far of 2013. Extremely impressed. That's not to say that Mania and some of the other ones weren't good, but I'm talking about the smaller the smaller pay-per-views and Payback definitely delivered in spades. All right, so let's jump right into Monday Night Raw this week which um you know, Del Rio comes out, he cuts his his broken fucking Spanish promo Oh, you know, I've been here fighting for you people. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was ridiculous. It was 
not to say that it was a shitty promo, but it's exactly why Del Rio is Del Rio. He's a guy that comes out there and he's serviceable, but the crowd just just doesn't get into his character. He just doesn't, and it's it's not his fault. It's just a it's just the way it is. Del Rio's a guy who he can't be he can't be a face. He just can't. And as a heel, he the people dislike him so much because he's such a dullard that I think they boo him more for that reason than for anything else. But he came out. He got it. He was you know he called himself the best in the world, which you know was going to bring out CM Punk, and it did. And yeah, it was it was all right. You know, it was it wasn't it wasn't terrible. Don't get me wrong; it definitely wasn't terrible, but it was. It was definitely one dimensional. I'll say that. I felt I felt that the way it went down was just it, it was it went down pretty much as a setup for CM Punk to come out and cut a, a masterful promo, which is of course gonna be CM Punk facing Del Rio. Now, the second big surprise of the evening was Wade Barrett facing a returning Christian, which was very cool. Very pumped for that. I'm a fan of Captain Charisma. Another guy who's who's a great worker, goes out there and has tremendous matches with everybody that he's involved in. And um, Christian definitely is a guy who to keep an eye on, especially in the world title picture and even in the U.S. title picture because he's a guy who I'd like to see maybe feud with a Dean Ambrose. Uh, Cody Rhodes would be a good feud for Christian just because those are guys that would work well. And not only that, that Christian can also help as well. But I'm very happy to see Captain Charisma back. Like I said, I'm a big fan of his. And uh, his match with Wade Barrett was good. Uh, the Road Scholars took on Sheamus in a pretty... It was a fucking snooze fest only because it, it really didn't help those guys that they pretty much got jobbed out to Sheamus, which was fucking stupid, to say the least. Anyway... The, the 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 real high point, though, was Randy Orton taking on Daniel Bryan in a no-DQ match, which is very, very enjoyable. Even though with the abrupt ending, Daniel Bryan actually injured himself diving out of the ring, and they stopped the match abruptly. And you can see it because of the way Randy Orton's facial expressions changed. He knew something was wrong. And you can see that they were trying to... They were really trying to find a way to end the match very quickly. And the crazy thing about it was that when the match ended, you can see Daniel Bryan wasn't, he wasn't himself. He wasn't in there. He was not, he was not in the game. And he definitely, you can tell he definitely was, was rattled. It was funny just seeing Randy Orton kind of pat him on the head. And the funny thing about the way that they did that is that that is referenced in SmackDown. So definitely good storytelling on their part. Um, I I will say that if you probably would have given him 10 more minutes, you would have probably got a nice four-star match. Uh, Daniel Bryan, his exchange with Triple H backstage, which, of course, they showed on the WWE app, which, why wouldn't they? Uh, Definitely helped move that forward, and it was a nice way to mask the fact that, you know, Daniel Bryan got hurt, but WWE booking on the fly did the smart move and made it work to their advantage, so definitely props to them for that. Uh... AJ, of course, had a nice little exchange with Stephanie McMahon, which, of course, led to Caitlyn coming out, which led to Caitlyn's boob popping out, which led to a black screen for three seconds, which led to the internet basically crashing on itself as millions of people tried to put up a screen cap of Caitlyn's boob. It's like, all right, look, it's a titty. 
Congratulations. I've seen a decent amount of them in my day. Thanks. And and you know what it is? Wardrobe malfunctions on wrestling are always amusing. Not because they're wardrobe malfunctions, but because they 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 become such 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 fodder immediately. It's like, oh my god, it's a titty! Holy shit! Oh god! Oh, it's a t-. all right, we got it. It's a booby. We got it. You can see a booby on Game of Thrones. You can see a booby on on FX. You can see a booby on HBO. Hell, you can see a lot of boobies on Cinemax Thursdays after midnight and Fridays after midnight. So, so please, 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 let's not get crazy now. Let's not get let's not get nuts. Obviously, if you're under 15 and you need something for the spank bank, I understand. Woo! She's a booby. Yeah. But for the rest of us, we got it. Like, look, I've seen countless wardrobe malfunctions. I've seen, you know, Lita's boob completely pop out. I remember that. That was that was huge because it was like the delay, I guess, didn't really come in quick enough. And you really legit saw like full boob on television for at least 45 seconds. Now, nowadays, it's like people people are, are, are praying for a wardrobe malfunction. I've watched wrestling long enough that it's like, all right, we got it. A booby. Great. Tremendous. Like, especially when it's not like she's like, you're getting a good glimpse of it. All you see are screen caps of a blurry boob with, or a blurry nipple. Congratulations. Congrats on seeing your first nipple guys. Like, like seriously. I mean, the angle itself was okay. I think Stephanie McMahon, she's, uh, I don't know. It feels weird seeing her on screen. Maybe because she's a mom now. Maybe because her voice is like completely different. I don't know, but it's it's weird. I I did like the fact that she, you know, her and AJ had a nice exchange. I also laughed at um, you know, I laughed at the fact that she pretty much was like telling the divas, "Don't ever fucking interrupt me," which allegedly is because of something of an incident that happened backstage. And of course it's WWE. So why wouldn't anything that happens backstage be used as an angle on television? Duh. (laughs) That's, that's just the way it goes. You know, (laughs) slick shared, uh, Caitlin's Twitter guys, enough about the wardrobe malfunction on Monday. Let's nip this in the bud. (laughs) Well played Caitlin. Well played. It's true. It's like, it's like, you know, the wardrobe malfunction. It's cool. I mean, we understand, but Let's let's be honest. If you guys aren't familiar with Caitlyn's body of work before she came to WWE, you're going to see close to that. So do yourselves a favor. Definitely uh, read Quark's Buried for this week, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, so Dean Ambrose took on Kane for the 82nd time. Uh, the Shield, of course, got involved, ended in a no contest, which it's funny because Triple H wanted Vicky to do something about the Shield. Meanwhile... Vince McMahon likes what the shield is doing. So definitely very, very interesting what, where they're going. Obviously the power struggle taking place backstage is going to probably drive Vicky Guerrero nuts. We'll see how that transpires. Personally, I could give two shits less, whether it's triple H behind the scenes, Vince behind the scenes that I don't really care. I don't because what happens is the McMahons end up becoming a, a distraction to, to a degree. Vince is okay. in limited doses, if you have that motherfucker on my TV too many fucking times, it just it just gets irritable. It really does. So we got the alliance now official between Zeb Coulter and the one and only Antonio Cesaro taking on William Regal. 
which I was happy to see William Regal on TV. I was bummed that the match was wasted because I think Regal and Cesaro could have led to a tremendous match. Would have led to a tremendous match. I don't understand why they went for the for the for the squash, you know, the we the people chant, the flag over over William Regal's prone body. It was okay, but I think I think Regal and Cesaro could have given us a tremendous match. I don't understand why they didn't go with it, but what can you do? Anyway, John Cena comes out. He's talking about his shit. Mark Henry comes out and delivers a masterful, masterful promo, which I'm actually going to share with you guys because it really, really was tremendous. I don't know how much of this uh, this clip we got here, but let me see if I can play it and you guys can can check this out because Mark Henry... Give that fucking guy an Oscar, ladies and gentlemen, because he was tremendous on Monday night. Check this out. John, I want you to stay. There's something I want to tell you. I want to tell the boys and the girls in the back and all of y'all at the rate that you're going you're going to be the greatest WWE champion of all time and if I if I had any regrets any regrets at all about my career I've been world heavyweight champion I've been ECW champion I've been the strongest man in the world I've had a lot of success. I mean, nothing like the success that John had, but um, I, I think I've done pretty good for myself. Which, which, thank you. Which leads me to the reason that I'm out here to formally retire from the active roster of the WWE. Thank y'all. One more match from the one of the better crowds that I've been in front of in the last five years. That's the only championship Mark Henry hasn't won. I'm on the road 
close to 200 nights a year to my beautiful wife, Jana. I think you'll see more of me than you want to. And to my son, Jacob, who's a fanatical wrestling fan. Some of y'all seen him on Twitter. And my little girl, Joanna, oh, not me, young dummy. <laughs> <laughs> to my little girl, Joanna, who cries when I leave home. <laughs> Baby, I'm coming home. go mark henry delivers a masterful masterful promo it was it was amazing for a multitude of reasons number one mark henry swerved everybody even those of us that have been longtime wrestling fans you kind of didn't know where it was going especially because he had legit tears you know he was bringing up all the family stuff it was it was good it was good fucking acting it really was And, and i mean you know it's crazy because you'd say to yourself, damn, you know, Mark Henry, who who would have thunk he had it in him? And it's like, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. I cry for you motherfuckers. That's what I do. Seriously, it was it was it was masterful. It was tremendous. And it was it was well executed. It was probably one of the high points for for Raw this this, this past Monday. It really was, just because it was, like I said, so well done, and you didn't know where it was going. The only thing, the only small indicator I had that it was going to be a swerve was that when guys retire, the entire roster usually comes out. You see the entire roster, and, you know, they're there, and they're applauding, and guys are crying, and then, you know, the wrestler comes out of the ring and goes up, and there's hugs and whatever, and we didn't get that. That's what got me. I said, huh. You know, I said to myself, damn, that's weird. The entire roster didn't come out. So that kind of made me second-guess the legitimacy of the retirement, but when he fucking started crying, I was like, oh, damn, he's really done. And it's crazy. Now... If you guys remember, I believe it was two shows back, we were talking about race, you know, what Court Bauer was saying about race and how every minority wrestler wins the big gold belt and doesn't win the WWE championship. Now, looking at Mark Henry, you'd think they'd do the right thing and give him the belt. 
But here's 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 a couple of reasons why I think Mark Henry would be the should be the guy to take the belt from Cena, even if it's for a transitional period. Number one, it would allow Mark Henry to win his final title. Number two, the guy's been with you guys for fucking years. He deserves that much. Number three, I think that Mark Henry at this point in his career is just on his A game. He's in that that gear that you really got to get the most out of before he gets injured or something else happens. This is the time to strike when the iron is hot. I would have Mark Henry defeat John Cena, and maybe I would have Daniel Bryan challenge Mark Henry. I th- and, and the reason I say that, you guys are probably like, oh, but why Daniel Bryan? Daniel Bryan's going through the whole people underestimating him gimmick, which which has been led to, to incredible matches. I think that him challenging Mark Henry and Mark Henry being like, nah, little man, I'm not going to fight you. And just Daniel Bryan coming out there and, and trying to whoop his ass every week would be would be tremendous for Daniel Bryan. And I think that Daniel Bryan and Mark Henry can give us a very, very good match. I think Daniel Bryan is a, a, a great, a good enough worker where his style can mesh well with Mark Henry in a nice David and Goliath style match. That isn't far fetched. Now, if you've seen David and Goliath matches with like the big show, you know that they always look stupid because you know, it's, it's, you know, you got to look at it like this. When you look at, at, at a feud between the Big Show and Daniel Bryan, the reason that feud didn't work was because the Big Show really just doesn't know how to sell the monster big guy. He really doesn't. The Big Show, he's just such a natural presence that he doesn't have to try hard to say, look, I'm seven feet tall, 500 pounds. And it's like, whoop the fucking do. You're ginormous. Great. Thanks. Meanwhile, you look at Mark Henry and Mark Henry's just a Mark Henry's just a a monstrous human being. Like like you look at the big show and let let's let's think about this rationally. You're in a bar. You're in a bar and you you challenge the big show. You know, you're like, "Ah, you know, I want to fight you." You know for a fact the big show may whoop your ass. He he may there's almost a 90% certainty the Big Show will whoop your ass. But the fact is that he's so, I don't even want to say he's not intimidating because he is, but he's just so regular that it's just like, oh, he's just a big, you know what what the Big Show is? The Big Show is fucking Hodor from Game of Thrones. That's what the Big Show is. He's fucking Hodor. You look at Hodor, he's this big ass dude. You think he's a scary dude, but what does Hodor do? He carries around Bran in 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 a, in a in a golf cart. That's what he does. He's not. He's you know, the great Kali. I told you the great Kali is Kate Sith. Him and and Hornswoggle are Kate Sith. I told you Kali and Hornswoggle are Kate Sith from Final Fantasy Seven. I'm telling you, the Big Show is fucking Hodor. He's just big and doofy and and he's not. He's a scary dude. Don't get me wrong. I would probably fight the big show and get my ass kicked. But you know what I'd do? I'd crawl out after getting my ass kicked by the big show, get in my car and hit him with it. That's what you do with Mark Henry. It's like Mark Henry. You go, listen, Mark, you're a big ass bitch. What are you going to do? Mark Henry will pick up a stool in a bar and roll it up 
like a newspaper and say, this is what I think. And you'll be like, nah, dude, we cool. We good. Uh, no problem. No beef. We got no beef. It's cool. And and we and you just walk your ass out. Like, that's how it goes. Like, Big Show, you kind of want to test it with the Big Show. With Mark Henry, it's like, yo, that guy will rip me in fucking half. That's why I always I always laugh about like like people talking about the big wrestlers or 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 how scary they are. It's like it's not about being scary because you're bigger. It's about commanding a presence. It's about being it's about walking into a room and everybody looking at you and going, "Damn, that I'm not even fucking with that guy." With the big show, you always look at him like like I want to see what would happen. Mark Henry, it's like, "Nah, I ain't fucking with that dude." that's again, that's, that's just how I view the big show. Big show is big ass Hodor and Mark, Mark Henry and Kane are the two best big men in the company and they need to strike while the iron is hot. Mark Henry has been dealing with numerous injuries for years now. And you, you have to take advantage because if you don't, he's going to get injured for real retire. And then you're going to hear the woulda, coulda, shouldas. It's, it's absurd. It is tremendously absurd that you can't you can't do the right thing with a guy like Mark Henry who's a tremendous talent. But what can you do? Anyway, we're gonna get it. We're gonna touch a little bit more on this after uh, after our interview with Amazing Red, who's coming on. Of course, House of Glory has an interview uh, has a show coming up this weekend at the uh, House of Glory Wrestling School uh, and in Wheelfield Street in Ridgewood. I will of course be sharing that in the show notes and you guys will see an article for that on mytakeradio.com after the show's over. Anyway, let me bring Red on cuz him and I have a lot to discuss. What's up Red? What's going on? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, man? I'm good. Welcome back, dude. Good to be back. It feels it feels like ages. Yeah. Actually, uh when was the last time I was on this? Like maybe 3 months ago? Nah, dude. It was a lot longer than 3 months ago cuz we 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 ended up having having dinner for your missus birthday and it was still a while before you after you had been on air so it's it's been a minute uh that's probably why it's so short <laughs> so first off of course i know you had a you were dealing with an injury scare recently and uh, i want to touch on that see how you're doing oh i'm doing great um it was actually uh this is spring it was nothing more than spring that's good man i'm very happy because you know i know i know that any type of of knee injuries would just be you know, at this point, at this point, it's not something you wanted to deal with, especially with so much going on with the school. Yeah, it's, 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 it's always an injury always happens when something is kicking off. And I, <laughs> I really hate that, especially for me. I feel like uh, every time I'm about to make it somewhere or get that big push behind me, something goes wrong. And so far, it's been because of injuries, especially with my knee. So it was a really big scare. But um, thank God it's a spring. And um Especially with you know the wheels, man. Like I need my wheels. Well, let's touch on that. How did you how did you end up sustaining that injury? Was that something that that kind of just was over time, or did you end up getting caught in in a in a spot? Yeah, I think it was just um just years and of just uh, damage, especially uh, with my right one being um, torn for like two years while I was still wrestling with it. Uh, The left one did a lot of work. You know, I was. Running on it, jumping on it, leaping off of it more than I than I should have because I was protecting my right one. Now my right one is fixed, and now my left one is going through all the damage because of the wear and tear I did. 
while I was nursing the right one. So I knew either way something happens with all I have to do now is just um keep working now, you know, getting it stronger, building all the muscles and ligaments around it and um hopefully this doesn't happen to the left one. <laughs> Have so far, just one surgery. So thank God for that. <laughs> well, there you go. Have you had to? Have you had to alter your your wrestling style a little bit just to protect your knee? Or are you still you still going out there getting getting crazy like you like you usually do? Uh, no, of course. I think it was actually just a wake up call because um, you know when you first out there, you do all these crazy moves trying to get noticed. Um, especially how green I was, you know. Um, once you go out there and you wrestle and you hear that pop for the first time, like that crowd go crazy for something that you did, um, you're going to want to keep wanting, you know, keep wanting to hear that again. So it was just me being green and trying to, I, I didn't, I didn't call out my, uh, moves during the match. Like, Hey, I want to hit this and hit that just for pops. I mean, I just did my stuff whenever I had to, but obviously since the injury, it has to be more smart and wiser. Cause I don't want to go through that again. It was, uh, it was almost a, almost two years of me trying to rehab this knee. Um, just some, cause even before wrestling, I used to do movies like, uh, kind of like low-budget backyard movies with my cousin and stuff like that and fight outside in the street and do these little stunts and wrestle outside. And, I mean, just from all of that, <laughs> it was already wearing and tear my knee before wrestling. So, um, yeah, it made me a little wiser, especially my trainer, Mikey Whipwreck, would, would always tell me, you know, because he went through it also. You know, he'll tell me, like, um, uh, take your time, don't do so much, you know, don't waste all your stuff in one match. Um, you know, you're going to need your... your your, your your wheels, you're going to regret it later on in life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got it, Mikey. And in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, I, I could do this and do that. And kind of like, at first, I, I was kind of saying that, like, Mikey was kind of like a player. <laughs> I was thinking it would be nice, though, but I, I, I thought he really didn't want me to do it for some other reason, but that was just me being stupid. But um, now it's like, he can tell me that I told you so thing, you know what I mean? Because now I'm wiser. Now I'm House of Glory. That, that's why I really teach my students, you know, just... Listen, I've been through it. I I ignored it first, but it really does happen because uh, I feel like an old man right now, and um, it sucks. But um, I still got my health. I still got both of my wheels working, and um, it's good. But I think it happened for the best of me because it just made me realize, all right, you don't have to do this move or that move. You can just work and, you know, be a wiser wrestler at work and get the same response, get the same reaction, the same respect, and you know you have more longevity in this uh, business. Well, I think that's one thing. When you when I attended the last show and you worked that match with Sanjay, I um I really <laughs> I, I really liked the the evolution of your style in that match because you could there was more there was a little bit more brawling. We had a little bit we 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 had a decent amount of brawling, some technique sprinkled with some high flying in there, and there was. There was a deeper amount of storytelling. Now, you know, obviously you've had a lot of matches with Sanjay, so it's one of those things where there was the natural chemistry there. But the the best part was the storytelling really worked in your favor because it allowed you to, to protect the knee. Exactly. Um, I, I don't get a lot of time to actually show that I can really work or tell a story because usually when I'm in there, I have, like, you know, either a guy who wrestled before me, a little a veteran guy, or just, I'm very respectful, humble. This is back in the day, by the way. And I would just stay quiet and listen to them. And, you know, just when it was my time to speak or say my stuff, I would do it. But uh, I was really quiet and humble in the fact that uh, whatever moves I wanted to do, I was going to be with it. You know, I don't I don't want to be that guy that was like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I didn't want to be the downer, I guess, out of the crew. But I've learned that uh, 
you have to open your mouth. You have to be, uh, you know, because this is my body. And my job in there, well, it should be everybody's job in pro wrestling. It's actually to protect your opponent. You know what I mean? Like, have a good match. You don't have to kill each other. You don't have to kill your opponent, but actually take care of him because he's in it just like you. You're both in the same job. It's entertainment. No one should leave out of there with a concussion or blackout. You know what I mean? But if stuff happens, stuff happens. Okay, I understand. But willingly, my job is not to get myself over. It's to get the other guy over. And that's uh, exactly what Sanjay helped me do. I was legit. Like, I couldn't bend my knee at all. Like, I had a knee brace. And I, I really was going to get out uh, of the event. But um, I know a lot of fans were coming. Family was coming. You know, I didn't want to do that to Sanjay. Uh, he's a really good friend of mine. And, um... You know, with a guy like Sanjay, I just worked around it. Uh, my, my, I'm telling you, my knee was legit hurt. I couldn't bend it or anything. And just the response of that match was so so crazy that, you know, it's cool that I could actually get to work a match like that into a story and, you know, prove to myself that, you know, I do have it in me to do that. And um, it, was, it was an awesome match. I didn't even, I threw in some high flying there, but it was just like, you know, the my basic high flying stuff. And it was so awesome, especially having my students around ringside and my other student helping me, um, Nick, and it was, it was awesome. It was a good feeling. Yeah. I, that that was one of the things I, I liked too, because the, your students got involved and it wasn't, it wasn't what I, what I like to call the, you know, the, the, the dust, you know, what, what everybody calls the dusty finish. Your students didn't come in there and take away from the match. On the contrary, they, they allowed you to tell the story in, in a more cohesive fashion. And not only that, but it also, it made your students look good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody, everybody. I think won in that match. It was, it was the help of everyone. Like uh, Sanjay, me, uh, Nick, my students, and the fans. It was just one big. It was cool, man. It was awesome. Like uh, that's exactly also what I wanted to show my students. You know that you just have a match because a lot of them were coming up to me and you know even workers were like, "Yo, how are you gonna how are you gonna do this? How are you gonna wrestle? How are you gonna move around?" And and I was like, "Well, I got an idea, but you know, uh, my my knees legit." killing me <laughs> but um, let's see what happens yeah i i was like i said i was um i was i was thoroughly impressed and the thing that gets me was the fact that you know you the the card that 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 particular card was just you you had it loaded with talent from top to bottom and now of course you got this high intensity show coming up and each card you're just getting you're getting more established workers plus you're starting to to really bring a lot of your students into your own, man. I see, I see, I see Panda Man on the poster, man. I see, I see how he, how well he's coming <laughs> along, man. I was, I, I was, I was happy to see that. I, I think um, since the last time we were there, how 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 have your students improved, and how has the growth of the school been coming along? Um, it, it's been good, you know. It's been a very slow pace because uh, it's it's a little different now, like how it used to be. You know what I mean? Um, I have to give a lot of little speeches, little talks, uh, and my students are awesome. It's just, you know, a lot of things get in the way, you know, like with jobs and school, and I understand all that, but just students, these new students in general in pro wrestling, I just think they're so uh, unaware of how it used to be and how, you know, if you really wanted wrestling, you really wanted wrestling, you know what I mean? Like, you, there was no excuses. There was no pain, you know, no uh, excuse for pain you do. Like, if you didn't pay your dues and be there and, and give it all you got every time you trained and, you know, showed up to show up to show, like, then you wasn't getting booked and you wasn't getting noticed. Uh, you didn't develop as a wrestler, develop as a character, and and uh, a lot of these kids now, they just want to just 
wrestle, I guess, for the, um, you know, for that feeling just for the moment, do one or two indie shows, and I think they're good. I think some of them are just very happy with the indies, and I tell my students, you should, like, dream big, man, think big. Like, I want to I wanna be able to not look like I'm wasting my time when I'm in the training, you know what I mean? Because I have a family, too. I got a job, and, and I'm getting my time to help you guys, and, you know, um, I want them to dream big, all of them. You know, I always tell all of them, like, your 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 dream should be the top. Like, they'll be higher than that, you know what I mean? Um, don't just settle for an envy or some backyard fed or something like that, you know what I mean? You got, you're in here for a reason, and uh, I'm here to get you uh, noticed and train you the basics, and you do your own stuff after that, you know what I mean? But um, a lot of kids nowadays, you know, they just want to hit one or two high spots, and they become, they think they're wrestlers, and uh, a lot of them forget the basics, but... They forget, like, us vets. Like, I'm not calling myself a vet, but, I mean, you just people just been there for a while. Like, we see who knows how to work and who doesn't. And I'm just saying, the the thing in wrestling you want to do is get the respect from the workers, you know, and the fans and stuff like that. So um, that's very key because you can, uh, you can be hot for a little while, but <laughs> that quickly ends as, as fast as it, uh, it goes up, you know what I mean? Well, one of the things you were talking about is, is you know, it's all about it's all about learning and training. And I know you you learned, you know, you were you were trained by Mikey Whipwreck, and you have your students coming in there learning with you. Do you feel that it's counterproductive when guys go and learn in one school and then come and learn from you as well? Do you feel that the sometimes the teachings from one school contradict with your teachings, or do you think that guys should definitely become seasoned in learning? the the styles of different schools i mean uh that's weird with wrestling you know because everybody has a different style everybody has a different way of training and stuff like that but what i'm i've been taught and uh, i'm used to is the way that you know got people into the b and, and uh you know tna stuff like that which you know house of hardcore tommy dreamer even their their stuff came from johnny rod so it's like we all get grand- grandfather from Johnny Ross, Dreamer, Mikey, you know. So either way, it evolves. And with me, I'm not just only teaching the bases. I'm kind of I'm also teaching the evolving factor of it because wrestling is totally different now. You can't get over the way you used to get over back in the day. You know what I mean? You can't do certain things that you used to do back in the day. So it's changing quickly. And like uh, sometimes I will let my students go, you know, and do uh, all the seminars and shows, shows and stuff like that. And uh, not not shows, I mean like seminars and just, but as far as training somewhere else, you know what I mean? It, that's a little iffy because if they go out to another person's training, I think that's kind of uh, disrespectful in a way because either way, when you come back to me, I'm going to erase what you just thought, you know, heard of. But I also <laughs> want you to go out there and get knowledge and the fact of uh, when you're doing shows and when you go to seminars, you know what I mean? You're learning that. But as far as you going to train in someone else's school, like, uh, kind of like, you know, getting two teachers kind of thing. Nah, nah, I'm not with that. Like, um, if, you know, well, when we learn from Mikey, we learn from Mikey only. We had other um, people that we picked up stuff from uh, before Mikey and after Mikey, but that was just learning and experience on the way, you know. Um, we kind of evolved Mikey style, so I, you know, think they would do that after they got my, their stuff from me. If they're going to someone else's school to learn how to wrestle, while they're in my school, that's disrespectful, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'll be kind of tight about that. But um, they can learn from seminars. Everybody teaches different. You can learn a lot of cool things from different people, different wrestlers. I uh, I tell my students to go out there, have shows. They should not be only part of Possible Glory. 
and you know, exclusive to House of Glory because that, I think that's ridiculous. The only way they're going to get noticed is by doing other feds and stuff like that in the Indies, and uh, they get more um, experience like that. Just you know, be wise in what Indies and, and stuff you choose because a lot of them would just want to play you and you know, kind of take advantage of younger talent because promoters nowadays are really grimy. If they wasn't before, they're even grimier now. And it's like, uh, like I said before, um, you know, kind of disrespectful in a way that a promoter would pay one new backyard guy because he just does flips and have him actually uh, on the show, I mean, for free and leave someone like, uh, you know, me, Jalito, the young bucks home because, you know, we're worth too much in their eyes. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of like disrespectful in a way. But they'll take these kids, they'll have them, do their 630s and saying shooting stars and suicide dives and go crazy. And, you know, they're not wasting no money out of their pocket. When those kids get hurt, uh, there's no insurance, you know what I mean? Like, it's just very dangerous. But then the fact that the kids, man, like, they just started wrestling and they get hurt. The career ends up being short. And I'm trying to avoid all of that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, uh, the, the the crazy thing with that is, and, and I'm glad you bring it up, especially about about training is, um, you know, was was Mikey your only your only trainer, or or did you train with anybody else besides Mikey? Did you train with like you know any of the other guys out there? You know, Dreamer, Mike, Awesome, those guys. No, no, um, it was it was uh we picked up stuff from um different people before Mikey, but it wasn't like we got trained like oh here's why you do this. We kind of just taught ourselves in what we saw. And I'm talking about me, uh, SATs, um, Quiet Storm, and uh, Crystal Lyon, and, and Brian Saul, and the fact that when Mikey, Mikey picked us up, he trained us, you know what I mean? Like he, he legit is our trainer. And uh, not, nobody else trained us. It wasn't no uh, Michael or something like that. Um, it was only Mikey. Um, and, um, like, he, he kind of, like, <laughs> opened my eyes Open all eyes, so like you guys suck. <laughs> you guys are mad green. Damn. And uh, like I said before, I thought he was a player, and then I, I was like, oh, I do these flips. Like I think I'm cool. <laughs> and uh, you know, all the stuff that I didn't know, uh, it was just mind-boggling the way he taught us, and just some basics alone. And so I tell everybody who tries to go to school, like, look, high-flying stuff is after. You got to get this basic stuff down because the basic stuff is the hardest thing, and you're gonna do it in every match, so might as well learn it now. Well, at what age did you start training with Mikey? Um, I started like uh, the 16, 17, I think it was 17. Oh, yeah. And um, I started training in the um, uh, uh, school in, um, I forgot what it was. Uh, it was a church, a local church. It was Arena Puerto Rico, it was called. And um, we used to pay the dude's name is Pedro, and uh, we used to go in there and train and like actually throw shows, we didn't train. We actually throw shows. Um, he never recalls. He just kind of just took out dues, like whatever we paid and stuff like that. And we used the ring. But I think I was maybe fifteen. That was like my youngest, so taking bumps and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and that that destroyed me. Now, man, I wish I could. I wish I could go back and kind of like take away some of those crazy matches I had when I was fifteen because I didn't know any better and. I can feel all that pain right now. So I, I don't think I'm supposed to be bumping that hard or like that at 15 years old, you know, because my body was still growing, you know, and uh, especially how short I am, I think it's because of that. <laughs> hey, don't feel bad. I think bad, I'm man. my growth. 
<laughs> well, well, with that said, I mean, you, you know, you bring up a valid point of, you know, just wanting to take it back and take back the, you know, the matches that you did at 15. With that said, what do you, what, what are your thoughts on, on the ideal age to, to start wrestling and to start training? I mean, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of kids, they go out there, they do the backyard stuff, which, you know, I'm, I'm against because the, the probability of injury is incredibly high, but you know, what's the yeah. ideal age? I mean, you don't want, you don't want 15 year old kids out there. You don't want, you don't want 14, you know, anybody above between 10 and 15 training, right? You want guys that are 18 and over. I mean, we, we have, uh, we did have before some, you know, we put up something like eight years old and up and then we did 12 years old and up because I'm not sure to where, uh, somebody else like has their, you know, how young can someone be? But I think like personally, I don't, I don't know. I, I think maybe as you can train that, I think from eight on, that'll be fine. But, uh, depending on your age, I think it should be limited to what you do. I don't think at eight, 10, 12, uh, 14 or something like that, that you should be bumping and okay. that ring, you know, cause that, that's destroying your body. Like little by little, your body's not used to that. I mean, you're, you're crashing on, on wood, you know what I mean? Like with a little thin padding. I mean, if you're younger than that, younger than 16, 16, because I don't want to be a hypocrite because I started at 16. But like I said, I would take it back and I would, you know, start the way you're supposed to. Because back in the day in New York, you needed a license to wrestle. You needed to be 18. And I got it at 17. Okay, save that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? Uh, but now, as I, you know, kids can wrestle on the fact of uh, be protected. You should be on. You should be on pads and just, I guess, do exercises and stuff like that. I don't know. Matter of fact, I, I'm I'm sure that um, bumping at that young age like that is very bad for you, bad on your bones and your health, and you're still growing. You don't want to end up paralyzed or, you know, God forbid something happens to you because your body's still, it's still developing, you know what I mean? It's still soft. Your bones, are, your ACLs and your little baby knees are still, uh, like, fresh, you know what I mean? I would save all those bumping and stuff and just get knowledge if if the kid is really serious about it and uh their parents pay and stuff like that we will give you knowledge about it and um you know you can do drills and exercise like i said it'll still be fun for you it's not like it's it'll be like a waste of time but as far as bumping in the ring and, and taking all these crazy things and you just not i'm not i'm not with that man uh, um you can get hurt paralyzed and then that goes on me in the school and God forbid, you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't want to see that from no, I'm no kid. That, that's the worst. And the way my body feels, trust me, is because of all the stuff I used to do in that ring, um, being so young. Um, I mean, I stick some crazy bumps. <laughs> I stick some crazy bumps. But, um, yeah, I, I think maybe to bump, maybe 15, 16 and up. Uh, other than that, you sh- if you're younger than that, you shouldn't be bumping. Um, it should be light bumps or just on, like a big kind of pillow crash pad, which we have also. But doing drills, exercises, and, you know, running around. I don't want no guys doing rock bottoms and FUs <laughs> in, uh, in my ring, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, 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 under, I understand that 100%. I mean, the reason I ask is because you look, you look, you. I always look at wrestling the same way you look at teaching your kid martial arts. When you take your kid to learn martial arts, there's there's guys that say, yeah, I start training them at three. And you're like, really? You want you want my kid to learn a spinning roundhouse kick at three? I don't know about that. So <laughs> I, never, I never get that either. Like, what do they mean this <laughs> when the the kids are training at two? Yep. <laughs> like, what do you like? What are you doing? Ripping things apart. I got. <laughs> 
That's what I mean. It's it it's weird. I I think I think that the logic that you're looking at is that a kid a kid who legitimately wants to be a wrestler, you know, you you can't stifle that. But there's a safe and cr- and creative way to do it. Exactly like you said, you know, using crash pads, teaching them the fundamentals, yeah. the the inner part of storytelling. Every kid who watches wrestling is gonna want to do it. You know what I mean? It's just wrestling is so um, contagious. Like, uh, as soon as you, it just brings you in. You know what I mean? You want to be a wrestler. As soon as you see it, it just it sucks you right in. But uh, if it was taking everybody um, at every age, and trust me, you would see a lot of them in WWE right now, um, being like. Eight or twelve years old, but it's not like that. You got to develop your body first, and um, it's dangerous. I think I think one of the first matches I saw you wrestle was on the TNA Weekly pay per views, and I think in that match you were wrestling Slim J. <laughs> and uh, I, how old were how, how old were you when you were doing the Weekly TNA pay per views? Because dude, you were young, dude. You had the you had the cornrows. Yeah, yeah, I think it was like nineteen uh, nineteen twenty maybe. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm really bad with years and uh, age like that. But I think it's 1920. I think actually Max says it when I come out. I think it was like 1920 years old. But, nice. Um, yeah. See what I mean? Like you had yeah. like you had ample time under your belt. I mean, obviously doing the shows in PR, you know, you can always be like, yeah, you know, that's awesome. But it's true. It's like there's there's uh, you're you're probably looking back and I'm like, damn, that was such a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, if I would take things back, I would just take my time and uh, and really learn before I start acting crazy. <laughs> but you know, I guess I guess doing crazy things and being a spot monkey, uh, spot monkey back in the day kind of helped with my uh, boost in the Indies and um, because it was a lot of hype because of the stuff I did, you know. And um, I, I'm guessing if I was smart about it and took my time, I, I don't think fans would have took to me as much. But I could be wrong. I don't know. I always so much myself short so well yeah I, I, yeah that's a that that's your kryptonite <laughs> but you you've um you know you've changed you've changed gears quite a bit you went from pro wrestling to teaching and now you're promoting because now you're running you're running a decent amount of shows i mean we got we got high intensity coming up this weekend you got a solid stable uh, of talent on the card you know established guys you got sammy callahan in there who's obviously doing his you know his his farewell tour how does it feel now, the shoe being on the other foot and you kind of being the promoter? You know, to tell you the truth, like, I don't uh, get as much um, uh, like feedback or info on, on that part yet because like, it's, it's kind of, it gives me headaches like crazy, bro. Like, um, being a promoter while you're a worker because um, you you put all this into it with, because, you, you know, you're friends with the workers and it's like certain things you ask them, certain things you're not supposed to ask them, and then like they're your friends, so can they do favors, but then they can't. You know what I mean? Like it's very. Uh, then you gotta promote the show. Like it, it gives you a headache. You need time on it. And I'm a busy dude, and I got I'm here and there and here and there. So if it wasn't for my my boy Brian Excel, and he's the one who takes care of uh, that stuff, like uh, most of it. And um, you know he he tells me on things, and I help out or whatever. And uh, but just just from the, some of the things that that go through it, the promoting, oh, it's such a headache, bro. <laughs> but, um, I love, like, uh, this talent that's been coming out, you know what I mean? I would love, I love to do work with, with just people who want to wrestle in general, like, people who love wrestling, like, how we do. I just love that. I always want to have them on the show. Like, I, I wish I had, like, like a, a money backer that would, 
you know, help out with shows so we can always have these cool matches and and, and take care of all the boys and stuff like that without no problems or whatever. But it's it's always so hard, uh, especially nowadays, you know, getting money, getting people who actually would do favors and stuff like that for you. And, and um, but uh, I just I just love wrestling in general. Like uh, all these wrestling schools that came out, all these wrestling indies, and um, I I you know I'm happy for them. I, I just want to see wrestling the way it used to be. You know what I mean? I just support it and. Uh, Hopefully we take it back the way it used to be, uh, where everything, every channel was wrestling, everything was about wrestling, and um, I, I think it kind of lost a little nation, but um, it's getting it back a little by little, and I'm just all for that. You know, I want everybody to do good. So, well, um, well, look at it this way yeah, too. Got, Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm saying we got like Sandy Callahan, uh, Young Bucks, Paul and Spanky, Tommy Dreamer. He's like um. My grandfather, you know, um, he's always helping out. He's been Tommy's been always looking out for me, man, since since day one. Um, such a cool dude, man, and he looks out for younger talent. And uh, he's so smart on the business, uh, especially of how to do things. I think like on the low, like Tommy, Tommy Dreamer gave maybe Paulie some of his ideas, you know, because they I think they share the same mindset, you know. And um, yep, Tommy very smart in this business, and um. If him and Paulie were to ever just separate and make their own uh, stable or indie or fed, I mean, I think it will blow up so much. But um, I guess things will happen sooner or later, you know. Well, with 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 regards to that, I mean, you know, getting you, you got London and Kendrick in there. I'm sure you're going to get in there and mix it up, and and Brian and these guys. But the the thing that's been happening as of late is that there's been just a resurgence of of an independent scene here in New York City. You know, you got FWE, you got their show dropping. Um, you know, you got some of these other uh, sm smaller feds getting back in the game. You know, ICW and stuff like that. While while I understand that it's that it's great for you guys just to get wrestling back on the map. Do you feel at times it's an uphill battle with regards to just just competing in such a, a niche market because it's it's New York City, man. There's it's it's a hotbed of activity, and not not even counting Ring of Honor and and WWE and all and you know TNA trying to make a a stamp here. But now you got all these independent promotions really pushing New York City hard. I mean, I, 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 that's what I'm talking about. I think it's great. You know, uh, even I just hope that uh, when a show does come out, especially because New York back in the day was like super hot, and then it died out big time, and then now it's. Everybody who's running a show or wants on a show wants to do New York and um, especially stuff in the East Coast. And uh, I, I love that, you know, because once wrestling starts building up and getting hot again, you know, that's when uh, more wrestlers come out, more money is, you know, being made and more things happen, you know. And um, I, 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 we also, I, I think, like, in a, uh, a weird way, I think we also push companies like TNA and WWE and Ring of Honor because, they get their guys from us, you know, they get their guys from, you know, the Indies and stuff like that. And it's funny because some of their top guys now are from Indies. And um, right. I think WWE had a hard time with doing that back in the day. And um, it's so weird because both of the Indie guys are, like, on top right now. I think they're the most over guys they got uh, <laughs> as far as, um, you know, wrestling and characters go. And that's weird because, you know, they're Indie guys. Um, WWE had a lot of history with kind of saying since, you know, we're the be and if we if we didn't make you, um, you know, you're not really gonna make it far. And they kind of pushed it to the fact that it was true. You know, every indie guy who was in WWE, they made it like a point to not push them or give them something, but not running with it too much. You know, and I think that's what um, I think I heard you earlier say. Uh, you know, it's 
it's kind of anything, if anything, it should be a little better to push into the guys because we're so seasoned in every kind of thing that happens. You know, we're, we're the ones doing the shows every week here and there, Japan, here and there. And, like, we know how to handle crowds because we're handling it almost every week. So you would think that it would give indie guys more of the ball than anything. Um, if the indie guy needs a little help in certain things, you know, promo-wise or character-wise, then you help him out. And uh, hopefully he'll break out from that, like the way uh, American Dragon did and, you know, CM Punk, and there you go. How do you how do you feel about the concept that um, that Taz broke out, which is finish, finishing schools for wrestlers, you know, learning how to survive in the, you know, it, it, in the backstage atmosphere and dealing with creative and, and working on the, on the more smaller aspects of, of, of character development. I mean, obviously you're there teaching the fundamentals. You're teaching how to, how to compose good, safe matches. But do you think that a, a finishing school is something that's important or do you think that it's something that should be integrated into wrestling schools going forward? I don't even know. What is that, a finishing school? A finishing school. Taz Taz opened up a, a finishing school, which is basically a school set up where guys that are seasoned wrestlers that want to get an opportunity in like WWE or TNA or any of the big organizations go to master, you know, character development, you know, cutting promos, working in front of the camera. A holding, holding cell? A what? Holding so, like holding. <laughs> <laughs> I, you could you could call it that. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, what what are your thoughts? That's like on... another developmental gimmick. Um, that's like another um, uh, FCW, I guess. Right. I I I guess. I mean, in the sense that he, they're just they're just teaching you the fundamentals of of surviving in that atmosphere. Obviously, FCW is going to do a better job, but you know how 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 hard it it is to get in there if you're not either paying your own I'm... way, paying your own way, robbing a couple of stores to get in there. <laughs> or or or, or I mean, having uh, somebody bless I'm you cool with a contract. With like, I'm cool with Taz and Taz is, you know, my boy or whatever, but I just, I don't see a concept, uh, I don't see anything with the finishing school thing because you could take that school and let's say you graduate or whatever the case may be, how you leave from that school, and you still don't get, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever you're learning there because wrestling is that weird. You know what I mean? Yep. I had, like I said, I, not only me, because I don't want to sound like, you know, the, the whiner or the crying guy, but um, a lot of people have been giving opportunities and taking away from very quickly, and they're stuck in a question mark phase, and they don't know what happened. And it wasn't because of them. It wasn't because of uh, crowd response. It wasn't because they wasn't trained in certain things. It's just the way that's, you know, things happen like that. Uh, certain people come in, they'll take their spot, or certain people can really have different ideas, uh, you know what I mean? So... I'm thinking that finishing school is just, you know, you're training your school until you feel like it's right to go out. But either way, you're gonna learn, you have to learn on your own. This is a learning experience. And um, that's great that he has that school for people that want that are stuck maybe in between Indies and TNA and W and stuff like that. Right. That they're not understanding why. And maybe they want to try another uh, way in. I mean, because Taz is obviously a name. And he can get you in if you see his improvement, if it's stuff like that. Then, you know, it's like an SCW thing. But, I mean... When you're in the when you're in TNA, uh, it's very different because no matter how much work you put in and stuff like that, it's, it's so it's so weird on how they do things. You know what I mean? Like sometimes they just walk right by you and they don't even know you're there uh, the whole time, and it's very confusing. And it still happens. It even happens worse now. You know what I mean? So um, I don't know. I'm not I'm not with that whole finishing score idea, but you know, I'm glad he did it. 
if you got time to to do it, and you know, hopefully somebody's dreams would be um uh, finished through there. That'd be cool. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I never thought that was kind of you know the SCW thing, and um, I I don't like I know it helps you, I guess, prepare you for TV and stuff like that. But um, I mean, nobody prepared me for TV before I went to TNA. And uh, right. and other people like that. I know uh, you can say, oh, that's why you didn't make it or do uh, a lot of things in the business or whatever. Someone does say that. Yeah, I understand that. But I'm just thinking, if you see it from my point of view, if you were sitting where I was sitting and being humble and respectful and just wanting to learn while I'm there and how many people walked past me, you know, when you were doing so much for the company, it's it's crazy. Like, it's really crazy. You're thinking, what the heck do I have to do to be noticed? And sometimes you do have to pull a CM Punk and just kind of shoot on everybody and, and whatever. And I, I, if that was a legit shoot promo, I, I commend him for that because that was awesome. But, um, you know, it, it, it's still going to happen either way if you go to that school or not. If you go to SUW, you're still going to be in a holding cell. Like, my boy Creed, uh, um of Creed. Yep, he's been, he's been on here. SUW. I haven't seen him yet. He's, he, he, was and, on the, um, he was on here before he got signed. And um, it was funny because we were talking about that. And then right when he got signed, I was like, hey, man, you know, congrats on the signing, blah, blah, blah. You know, would love to, to talk. And he's like, dude, they got me on straight gag order. I can't do any, any of that stuff anymore. I was like, oof. You know, so I, I, I definitely understand. He meant gag order because he threw up in CNA, or he just meant that as a... <laughs> oh, no, 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 not that. Gag order because he was in, in WWE. When he signed with WWE, you know, he 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 had been on the show a couple of, um, you know, a couple of, I think it was three months before, two months before. And, you know, we, we hit it off. We were talking to comics and all that shit, and I was like, listen, you yeah. know, you should come through. You know, love to talk, especially, you know, you could share that you got signed with the listeners. That'd be cool. They could follow you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, dude, I can't even do that anymore. Soon as I got here, it was like, uh, nah, you got to go through the front office for that now. So you know, it, it, it's it's crazy, oh. and it's true because yeah, how, like exclamation, yep. like uh, for tweets and stuff like that. Yep, you gotta like Twitter, oh. like the Twitter stuff. You know that that those accounts, they're yours, and you represent the company. But you got to be careful with what you say. Every time, every time somebody goes out there and and drops a pipe bomb about something on Twitter about somebody. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's getting their ass chewed out the next day. Oh, very, very <laughs> few guys get away with, 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 with sunning guys on Twitter. I mean, CM Punk is clowning dudes left and right on Twitter to the point where they just like, the only time I think that he kind of got in trouble was he said, I, I don't know if he said something about, about something about being gay or something gay. And they were like, dude, what are you doing? Why, why does the, why does the gay comments get the most uh, responses? Um, that's all I hear. I hear about somebody wrote something on Twitter about something gay, and then that's it. Like, they, they get suspended, fired, or they get fined. What? But if they say something like, uh, I think, racist, I, I never hear nothing like that. Because I think I heard about uh, Briscoe's, Jay Briscoe's thing. I think it was similar to that, right? I think he, he mentioned something, and everyone was talking about him. Like, he was uh, bad guy number one. I'm like, oh, what happened? I, I think- <laughs> well, Jay Briscoe pretty much was like, you know, if some, I, you know, I'd kill, I'd kill a person that wanted to teach my son about you know, alternative <laughs> lifestyles. Like he wild out. Like, kill? yeah, like he was like, yo, I kill a dude. I was like, well, damn, you know, like that's, that's oh, a wow. like he was, he was wilding out because he, you know, hard, like I understand, you know, you're entitled to your, to your opinions. And look, don't get me wrong. People, 
There's plenty of people I know in off air that they're the coolest people in the world, but they, but they some straight up racist pieces of shit. They my boys that where I'm cool with them, but I'm like, yo, if I wasn't cool with you and you said some of the stuff you said to me that, that you say joking around quote unquote, it's like, I'd have to fuck you up. So, you know, in Jay Briscoe's case, he came out with, with, he just dropped a bomb, especially because he had just won the belt, you know, so he's, he's from page news Uh for the company. And and he came out and he said that and everybody was just like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> it just sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Oh. Yeah, man, it was a trip. You, that, that's the problem with like the, these guys. It's the same thing with the UFC. It's like you give these guys a voice and you don't want to you don't want to stifle yeah. them. Did uh, Nate Diaz say something also yep. about that? And it's like he, another one like, wow. Yep. He said that about Brian Caraway. Because Brian Caraway got the fight bonus because the dude got popped for smoking weed, and you know he, you know he, he pretty much, you know he called, he said Brian Caraway was, you know he, 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 he called him a faggot, but you know once you drop a word like that, whether 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 you're saying it, you know in hood speak and just another way of calling him a bitch, which is what they tried to do, or you're saying it, yeah. or you're saying it from hate speech, dude, it's over, it is over for yeah. you. So, you know, I mean, I'm shocked that Daniel Cormier didn't get suspended for, I mean, um, Roy Nelson didn't get suspended for calling Daniel Cormier and Uncle Tom <laughs> in an interview. He called Daniel yeah, Cormier yeah, like, Uncle Tom. You would, you would think that that would get the same kind of hype, but um, I, I don't see it. But, I mean, you know, you have Twitter or Facebook. you got to be responsible for what you put out anyway because, you know, a lot of people are following you, no matter they're young or old, but um, you got to watch it. I don't, I don't think you need, like, WE to tell you that or UFC to tell you that. I think you just, you know, just watch what you put out there because so many people following you. You don't know what, you know, somebody could get tired about something and then just, you're fine. Or suspended, you know, and whatever you made it to is going to be messed up. Because that's, that's all I heard about Jay. I heard about that more than, I guess, you you, you just said he won the yep. Irish title, right? I didn't yep. hear about that. I just heard that he said something like that on Twitter. That was it. So crazy. Well, that's I was I was going to ask you about that. Like, how do you how do you handle uh, social media with your students? Do you encourage it? Do you tell them the the right way and the wrong way? Because now that's become that's become part of your gimmick now, too. You know what I mean? Like, like, like social media is part of your gimmick now. Like it's ingrained in you. How do you how do you handle that with your students that are that are on the come up? Um, Like my students in Holland. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like anybody else on Twitter. You just got to watch what you say and um, hopefully nobody, you know, cause, uh, when I'm on there, I put, you know, funny things or not put like quotes or whatever. Um, I try to at least say something like one or two, you know, things a couple of times a week, you know, about God and my faith with that and Jesus Christ, stuff like that, you know, because we changed my life. And I want to see if I can reach somebody the way Jesus has reached me. And the fact that I can change somebody's life or help somebody out, yeah. Even sometimes there's fans on there that, that gave me questions and we inbox and I help them out and, you know, that stuff like that is cool. But if you're feeling like one of those days where, you know, very hateful, and I suggest you stay away from Twitter. Because <laughs> you, <know what> I mean? <laughs> you could, there's, there's some, I'm not going to lie, there's some times where I get very bitter with wrestling on the fact of, because I, I love wrestling. I and mean, that's the last thing I want to do is get bitter with it. And that's what happened before where I almost, not retired, but I almost quietly just walked away from it because I was so fed up with uh, 
people not giving me the respect and this and that, and she walking over me. And just wrestling in general, how they were treating other people was just getting me so mad that uh, I almost just quietly walked away. You know, nobody would ever do anyway. But um, and then I was thinking to myself, like, why would I get that mad about something? You know what I mean, just let me just stop and calm down. And if I would have had Twitter in that moment, oh man, the stuff, <laughs> the stuff I would have, you know, the stuff I would have said, man. I, I trust me, I would have been. I would have been hated for a while. Oh, Not even a... hated. Like some of the workers would have retweeted me, and, and promoters would have like wanted to book me after that. I think that's what I gotta do to <laughs> to get back in TNA to be like in the fact of um, being taken more serious. I think I should just cut promos on Twitter and kind of be very heelish. Maybe that'll get me. <laughs> well, give me some uh, some notice. Well, again. on the on the subject of that, and and you know, I I gotta ask, you know, TNA. TNA's going out of the pocket now, kind of, kind of bringing some cats back on, onto yeah. onto the TV. You know, I mean, you know, how, how do you feel about it? Do you feel that the change that things are just changing backstage, where you know the opportunity may present itself again, or do you just feel that they're kind of grasping at straws? I'll be I'll be honest with you, every every X division match being a triple threat match is is a gift and a fucking curse because it's like go out I there, heard, yeah, yeah, go out there right. and kill each other. Go out there and kill each other for a few minutes. Oh, the guy got the pinfall. All right, great. It's like you don't really get to see more of that performer because it's like you got to run out there and have triple threat just, matches every week. There's no, like, it just bothers me, man. You know what I mean? Like, X-Division guys, go have three ways the rest of your time here. And it's just like, why, really? You know how, you know how many good-ass matches we had, man? Like, oh, yeah. and any other... I, I, I just don't get that. I don't get even putting... Uh, Last time I heard, I heard they put a weight limit like officially on it. Yep. Um, now with like lightweights, like yeah, like two up to you know two twenty. Cool I believe when when AJ was X Division, you know, guy, but he was fighting for the world title. When when Samoa Joe came and and he was having X Division matches, Samoa Joe is X Division. You know what I mean? He's not like heavyweight dude. You know what I mean? He's he's X Division. He's both. That this guy is. He's awesome. He can do everything. And I don't think you should limit somebody or limit the way that is because you're killing what Exhibition was. Exhibition was mad different. You know what I mean? It was so uh, like uh, eye-catching in the fact of there was no limit, you know, and, and, and we were like allowed to do certain moves that you didn't see in WWE. So it was like a brand new thing, innovative styles and all these different kind of talents from the indies who people had you know people were fans of they were happy to see them on a platform that wasn't on indie but it was like also like the next wcw kind of thing you know what i mean that's why i tuned into wcw most of the time than WWE because they had the the the, the cruiserweights yep i would tune in to watch eddie guerrero uh ray mysterio the parker WWE didn't have none of that so i never you know if it was a match uh in WWE, and, and, uh, and then there was a, um, a Cruiserweight match, I would have turned into a Cruiserweight match, no matter what was on WWE. Uh, I guess maybe there's some, you know, op- you know <laughs> maybe some other reason why I would tune back. Uh, I was a huge mark of the Latitude era. Obviously, everybody was. But, uh, I mean, you know, I'm tuning into the Cruiserweight era because of the stuff they did. Not because there were small guys and I could relate to them, which is another thing also why I tune in, but uh, also because they did cool things that I like to see, you know what I mean? Like, that's why I liked um, Owen Hart, Blue Blazer, and One Two Three Kid, and, and the Killer Bees, you know what I mean? It's just, I, I, I didn't see none of that in WWE at, at, at one point. And I, actually, there wasn't no Cruiserweights. Remember that Cruiserweight 
title they had for a little while, and they only had one match every couple of months. Yep. <laughs> I think the Hurricane was the last Cruiserweight champion, Gregory Helms, and they never did anything with the belt. It just, it just went into obscurity. Yeah, like, you know, I was happy when they were going in, you know, when they had S.A. Rios and Taka, Mishinoku, and Dick Togo. You know how cool that was? That was, that was awesome, but... You know, and then that one time when it finally built up to the fact that, because I was super, you know, I still am to this day, super Japan mark. Like, every in, every company in, in Japan, I just, you know, I'm a mark for. So, uh, when when Kai and Tai, like, the, the original Kai and Tai, went against DX, that yep. match was so awesome. And it was, the, you know, Kai and Tai, a small dude, you know, like me. And they were wrestling big dudes like Triple H, Road Dog, and, and it was an awesome match. That match right there automatically should have woken WWE up like, yo, we could we could find more of these dudes and we'll be the best. You know what I mean? But he decided to buy the company and <laughs> that's how he won. That, yeah, well, uh, a, if, if you can't beat them, you buy them. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Yeah, I guess. But uh, I, I think TNA can uh, surpass WWE in the fact of doing that. Because every time you check, every time you tune in, you have your, your stars, which, you know, you tune in for also. But some of them don't get responses that a, a good indie guy would get. You know what I mean? Like, if you if you really push the X Division to where it was back in the day and you really get this outside talent and you really, like, yo, if just me being, I guess, like you said, the promoter, the promoter brain, <laughs> like I said, if I had enough money to do certain things that I want to do, like with Brian, we would have, like, the, the best indie out there. And hopefully it will it would have been blown up already because it's like you would take the guys who are coming up are relevant and you put them all in one big show and you know what I mean you can you can do so much with that um, but it's like I see TNA they have this opening as, you know with the X Division to bring in some awesome talent from around the world and do something with it and it's like they have the same three dudes yep. you know what I mean like once uh, me, the Young Bugs, Jerry Tulas, and then that Shelly Bounce. Um, I just saw the same three dudes, you know what I mean? And, and the two more guys in the back. And uh, I didn't really hear no more about Exhibition. Then they changed it here and there. And guess who gets the blame for that? Exhibition, you know, we're going to probably get rid of Exhibition because you guys ain't getting over. And, uh, you know, we, we need we need space for these other dudes and we don't have that money for you. That's what will happen eventually, you know what I mean? They're going to blame Exhibition for the lack of people watching because but they're not giving that platform no more, you know what I mean? Like people it, I think they'll be amazed at how many people will tune in if they will have the exhibition to where it was, you know what I mean? And it's not it doesn't take you know, it's not no extra effort or nothing like that. Just contact a couple of people, give them good contracts, you know what I mean? And and, you know, secure them and trust me that Ah, you just <laughs> see this. This is when the business comes up. That's why I'm up now. I'm going on Twitter. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, don't don't get yourself in trouble. I mean, listen. The I've been, <laughs> you know, I I still watch TNA. I I mean, I'm not gonna front. I watch the shit on fast forward because I'm tired of aces and eights. I'm tired of Hogan on the TV every week. I watch it because Bully's a good heel. There's a couple of solid guys in the X division, and then you know, again, the usual suspects. They they get like like Christopher Daniels. You know I like Christopher Daniels. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mark for Christopher Daniels, especially you know when he was Curry man. I'm like yo, how does how does homeboy never hold the the big belt ever? AJ held the belt. Yeah. 
Joe held the belt. It's like, damn, dude. Like, like, why can't they let the guy shine? And then Joe's another one. Joe, Joe's been in obscurity since since the the, the TNA title run. Like when they had him training with Taz, and then he started doing the Taz mission, mm-hmm. and then he started wearing the gladiator shorts, and then he just disappeared when he got when he got kidnapped and thrown in the trunk of a limo. I'm like, yo, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? I didn't like. Uh, I don't know, but it's just been a chain of events <laughs> that are were bizarre. And the fact of when before Hogan uh, came to TNA, we heard all this hype about Hogan, and you know it, it got. Most of us who were the marks, the young guys in the company, like, you know, amped up. But then we were like, wait a second. Once Hogan comes, what's going to happen to us? Exactly. Like, oh, no, you know, they kind of, like, gave us the, you know, don't worry about that, you know, kind of thing. We're already telling us that's what they kind of told us. So we were like, well, if Hogan jumps on board, we're officially going against the league. You know what I mean? Like, that's Hogan, uh, which I love Hogan, by the way. He's awesome. But um, I didn't want to believe uh, the fact that when Hogan came to TNA, um, Things really did change, though. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to really tell myself that. It was because of Hogan coming in. I don't think it was because of Hogan personally. I think it was because of everything that came with Hogan, like other bosses and other yep, uh, just just friends and, and, and big heads and people that just didn't want to listen. To make your company develop and grow, you need to protect your younger talent, you need to give them the ball once in a while. You need to give them that rub, that push. If you don't develop your younger talent, your old ass ain't going to, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not going to take the company any further than it was before. Dude, I'm not going to. You're not going to do anything by yourself. <laughs> you need younger guys because when we are good and we get the rub from you guys, guess what? You get the rub right back. You know what I mean? Right. We keep ourselves relevant. I don't understand the fact that a veteran dude, a, a, a dude that has so much, uh, um, you know, push and 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 fan base and all this crazy behind him, why wouldn't he share that with a younger guy who deserves it? You know, That's I mean? right. I'm not telling you to give it to every younger guy, but just a, a if there's a dude out there, a young guy, and he's ripping it every time he goes out. I mean, having good matches, good matches, getting a crazy response, crazy response. Why the hell you wouldn't you do something with that guy? I agree 110%. Don't, don't give the guy a gimmick for a day or two and then tell him it didn't get over because it was his fault. I'm talking about me, by the way. <laughs> no, I, well, I, dude, we, yeah. we've 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 spoken off air about that stuff, so trust me, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, speak, it's, speaking it's, of which, I saw I, I saw your uh, I saw you I saw your brother on TV last week. Yeah, that's cool, man. I'm happy about that. Yeah, he did it. He, I I was bummed he lost a fucking abyss in a tracksuit, but you know. <laughs> that's just that's just me <laughs> definitely definitely dude i am not a f- that's why i watch the shit on fast forward dude i hate that gimmick <laughs> the joseph park gimmick dude i, I dude I, I, w- I would i would rather watch shit fall into a toilet <laughs> i kid you not dude. Like, that I is mean, a terrible you know, gimmick in the wrestling show i think you have your ups and downs also like in the match you know yep. it's like a roller coaster and I think you should have your down segments, your up segments, your your girl segments and stuff like that. You keep everybody happy, right? But um I mean if you have too many of your down segments and you're noticing on your ratings, like yep. when your ratings comes out, I don't believe the rating system, I don't believe that crap. I don't even know if it's real or not. I just know legit from everyone that I know and, 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 and the feedback that I get that for certain points of that no one watches. And I know they have to know that. They're not stupid. Yep. I know they have they have to know that. 
So when that certain crowd of, that you're trying to reach out to doesn't tune in, doesn't want to listen, doesn't pay attention to storylines, why do you keep going with it? Why do you keep running with that? Change things up. Stop saying every five seconds you're going to rebuild the exhibition and never do it. You make it worse and you make it worse. Like, I don't understand that. Nah, it's true. I mean, you know, the one-off pay-per-views that they started doing, like the Destination X and all that stuff, I was like, all right, that's that's kind of cool, but why don't you just put that on TV? Why don't you make one TNA Impact Destination X and get those guys on there? It's was, like, why am I going to pay fourteen ninety five to see a, that? That was just to silence us, bro. That was just to put a, a, a freaking uh, little handkerchief around our mouths just for, just yep. for that one year. That one month out of the year. Here, you guys are happy now? <laughs> there you go. The, the gag order. The um the other thing I, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to, to switch gears. I, I'm looking at the at the clock. I'm like, yo, it's fucking one thirty. I wanted to. Oh shoot. Yeah, exactly, dude. I'm like, we could do we could do a show about wrestling, and that's it. <laughs> I I wanted I wanted oh, to man, talk man. about. Nah, man, don't, don't apologize. You know, it's all good. I wanted I wanted, of course, we got we got high intensity this week, this weekend, and. Yeah, we got we got House of Glory, Ring of Honor in August, dude. I, I gotta I gotta talk about that and definitely get the buzz out for that because, dude, that was huge. When I read that, I was like, oh, because that's that's bananas. <laughs> I wanted to uh, to just pick pick your brain about the concept about you know what who came up with that idea and you know what made you want to go in that direction because, the, the, dude, you know you're you're my boy off air. I've always said it. You know I consider you a close friend, but. But that's that's the big one for you guys. Yeah, that that that, that, that card that, that card is the fucking big one, dude. No bullshit. <laughs> that's the buzz you're getting, and that's what, exactly what you want. You know, we want wrestling fans to be happy with uh, going to a show and, and knowing you're gonna get like that good wrestling. You know what I mean? And uh, we just try to get the guys who who deserve it. You know, the guys who who we would love to wrestle, the guys that we would love to let our students see and learn from, you know what I mean? Like, um, we make sure that we, we go out there and we try to get the best dudes in that in that field, you know, that are very good and, you know, coming up, we get the young guys, we get the little older guys, and, uh, you know, we're, you know, sometimes a little biased when we're getting some of our boys, but, you know what I mean? I'm boys with everybody, you know what I mean? I don't think no one has a bad thing to say about me, uh, hopefully. <laughs> but um, I would I would love to do business everybody i mean hopefully later on in the future we can do business with pwg and bring some of those guys down and you know have that done with us you know what i mean so uh we're trying to do big things this always thing is very it's like our first kind of step in the big direction and uh it was mostly you know brian thinking about it and i was thinking about it, it might it might be impossible in the fact of doing that because you know we gotta watch how many times we you know say our wish i don't want them thinking oh you know don't, you know, don't get mad at us kind of thing, but we would only use guys who are there because, you know, we respect them and we want to have good That's matches right. with them. We want to we wanna show our students, you know, these are the guys, uh, you know, to be kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, we want to give everybody a nice rub. We want wrestling fans to be legit happy with uh, with a lineup and a show. Um, and just like I said, bring wrestling to the way it was, you know, how... how Sometimes when you hear any show, you're like bugging out. Oh man, I can't wait for this day. I'm trying to bring that buzz back, and um, a lot of cool things are happening with uh, indies nowadays, and it's cool. Like I, I love the way wrestling is going, and um, and the direction is going, and uh, is really good. And I'll tell you too, man. I'm kind of happy on the indies. I, I don't get I don't get stressed out or nothing like that. It's not 
I'm not saying that I'm, you know, quitting on the fact of uh, trying to make it. I'm still waiting till my time. And uh, seeing the AWB calls, obviously, I'll, I'll be ready. But, um, I mean, in the meantime, I, I really love um, the, the stuff on the indie scene. You know, these new guys, they're, they're awesome. Um, ROH, I don't consider an indie. But um, their guys are, are good. Um, some of our friends of mine, and we're going to keep trying to throw big shows and have more good wrestlers and different companies, you know, so we can go again and test ourselves, you know what I mean? You want to you wanna laugh, dude? I considered our Ring of Honor WWE's real developmental territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you can say that. That's that dude, it's, it's like, yo, come on, dude. Like, really? <laughs> dude, yeah. But but honestly, honestly, dude, no bullshit, not even trying to put you over, but, you know, I'm happy for you and the success that you guys are getting. I mean, you know, you're... You're a hard worker. You're 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 you know you're a good family man, and and dude, we're pumped for you, dude. We you know we want to definitely help you guys succeed. Thank you so much, man, and we appreciate all the help uh, that you guys give us, especially you and the show, man. Um, you guys always uh, been good to us, and we thank you for that, man. We're, we're very blessed to be friends with you guys. Um, uh, hopefully, um, we'll do more things in the future, and um, it'll get bigger and better from there, I guess. Oh, but yeah. let me just. Say the date just so. Uh, <laughs> I oh no! That, it, that's what I was saying. Get the get the full <laughs> plug out. Yeah, I'm trying to have everybody get like a little push on the fact because you know I love this uh, this weekend of, of wrestling is awesome. Uh, it's FWE. They have the show tomorrow. Um, RVD is gonna be there. Um, I think it might be. I guess his last one until he goes back to the V. Probably, obviously, maybe. He's wrestling Tommy Dreamer uh, tomorrow. I don't know where that's at. I just know it's in New York. Yeah, it's in Corona. It's in Corona somewhere. Okay, cool. And then uh, Saturday is uh, Tommy Dreamer's um, Fed House of Hardcore. That's going to be in Philly, if I'm not mistaken. And that's going to be a sick card, you know what I mean? And that's awesome. Um, and then us, we're, we're on Sunday, and uh, I was House of Glory, June 23rd. Um, it, bell time is going to be 4.35 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be an early show, obviously, it's Sunday, you know want people to get out there early uh for some people it's church <laughs> some people oh, yeah. it's rest day but uh come out sunday um 1630 with street and um it's gonna be fun you're gonna have a blast got tommy dreamer there um young bucks brian kendrick paul london um it's gonna be a good show who are you who who's your who's your opponent are you are you gonna are you gonna put on the trunks and go out there who's my opponent i'm, I'm gonna probably I'll probably uh, I'll probably pick a fight. You know what I mean? There you go. That's how you do it. That's <laughs> how you do it. Punch the biggest guy in the face. Yet, but, uh, I know. <laughs> I'm going with my gear bag. I'm trying to get booked. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Oh, of course. Uh, last but not least, of course, you could find Amazing Red on Twitter at Amazing Red One, and um, you can also find him on Facebook and Instagram. Yes, and Instagram. Facebook is only a fan page. Yep. It's the official Amazing Red fan page. So, and Instagram, Instagram, ghetto, ghetto laundry pics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you seen that ghetto pic, dude? That was that was that was Bronx, nineteen eighty seven for me, doing laundry on one hundred and seventy fourth Street in Bronx River. I I remember those yo, days, dude. <laughs> yo, hood, that's hood problem. Like, yo, why? You know what's crazy is that I've been doing laundry there mad long. Why isn't that fixed? Like, you seriously have the stick. She has the stick there, 
So you can actually get in, you know what I mean? Like, here, it's not she labels a stick. No, she has a stick there because you have to know what it is already. If you don't know what that stick is for, then you're you're in the wrong place, you know what I mean? So it's funny. I was thinking about, like, let me post this pic. This is funny how this, she still has a stick in here. <laughs> wow, so good. Well, one thing, one thing I gotta, I gotta say, dude, like, like, following you on Instagram and that stuff. That's that even though you got you want people to follow you on a fan page and on Twitter, following you on Instagram for for our listeners is probably just one of the best things because it's it's a it's a glimpse into wrestling, but it's a glimpse into the real world. Like I watch like like you know, I follow you on Instagram just like anywhere else, but I laugh just because there's so much stuff. I'm like, "Damn, I remember that." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I try to give a, a piece to everybody, you know. I like uh, a lot of people, even uh, family who I, who I used to know and friends, they, for some reason, they think that I changed or I, I would change uh, because of the little fame I had. But I'm just a normal dude like you guys, man. I'm just happy that I got somewhere in this business and hopefully it doesn't stop here. And I, I'm I'm just trying to be as normal as I can. I'm not trying to gain fans. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite or be fake. That's just me. Like, what you see there... And on Twitter and on Facebook, that's me. I mean, like that's that's just how. I am. Yeah, I um, I I'll see if I if I swing through Sunday only because I got some time off coming up. So we'll see what the deal is. But I know Jay will probably be there. Jay Santi will be there covering it for us. So we'll be represented yeah, somehow. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah, I'm sorry. Will you say it again? No, I said I said um I said if. If I'm not there Sunday, Jay Jay Santi will be there covering it for us. So okay, got you. Okay, I got you. Because you know we 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 brought him into the fold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got you. There you go. All right, man. Well, um, I I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to call in. It's fucking two o'clock in the morning, so I'm gonna let you get some rest. And I don't want I don't want your <laughs> missus to whoop my ass. So um, <laughs> I will uh, All right. I'll catch up with you. Send her my regards. All right, later, guys. Thank All you right. again, man. Peace. God bless you. Peace. Thanks. There you have it, ladies and gents. That was Amazing Red. Make sure to look for the Amazing Red fan page on Facebook. Also look for at Amazing Red 1 on Twitter or look for Amazing Red on Instagram. High Intensity, House of Glory's High Intensity goes down this Sunday, June 23rd, bell time, 4 p.m. You can go watch it at the House of Glory Wrestling School. That's at 1623 Wearfield Street, uh, excuse me, 1618 Wearfield Street. That's Ridgewood, New York. Again, doors open at 4 o'clock. You can pick up the tickets online, House of Glory Wrestling, um, houseofgloryonline.com. Or if you're in the New York City area, just head over to 1618 Wearfield Street in Ridgewood, New York. All right, let's wrap up the wrestling segment, and we're going to sprint into the gaming segment. We are definitely doing OT tonight. Just a quick reminder for those of you listening on the Blog Talk radio feed, that feed goes off air at 2 a.m. Eastern, uh, midnight Pacific, but you can continue listening live via Mixler or via the GFQ network. Or last but not least, of course, mytakeradio.com. Click the listen tab. Wow, I said dot .com. That's how you know it's getting a little late. Anyway, let's finish up. The raw recap, like I like before we got into it with Amazing Red, we were talking about Mark Henry's um, incredible performance. Then we had a uh, Chris Jericho filler match with Heat Slater, which was, for all intents and purposes, as exactly that, a filler match. And uh, Curtis Axel took on Sin Cara. Sin Cara doing the J-O-B to make Curtis Axel look good. Last but not least, CM Punk, Alberto Del Rio to take it away for the evening. Del Rio left. Um... 
you know, midway through the match. And of course, he walked out and CM Punk wins via countout. Ziggler comes out, starts whooping um, Alberto Del Rio's ass. But that wasn't the, the biggest part of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. The big one was Brock Lesnar coming out and he was about to lift up that mic and cut a promo. Instead, he ended up lifting up CM Punk and dropping him with the F5. Seems like we got um, some beef between Heyman guys. Just saying. Monday Night Raw this week was definitely a solid show from start to finish. Out of a possible 10, I would honestly give the show an 8.5. A, a couple of things definitely could have gone, but overall the quality of Raw was fantastic. And of course, it's only fitting that it was as good as the Payback pay-per-view. All right, let's get into some of the other wrestling news for this week. Uh, first up, Triple H is finally getting his own DVD and Blu-ray, which is going to be available on September 24th. Obviously, it's going to uh, show some of his earlier matches, and um, it's going to have three hours of documentary footage, all his interviews and matches, plus different uh, profiles of Triple H's entire career, all the way up to him being an executive with the WWE. It's officially in-store September 24th. You can pre-order it through the MTR Amazon store. Just head to My Take Radio, click the Amazon store tab. You'll be able to pre-order the DVD or Blu-ray right through Amazon and in the process help out My Take Radio. Even though Amazing Red gave us an, a tremendous rundown of great shows, including FWE and uh, House of Hardcore and, of course, House of Glory, we also have Ring of Honor's Best in the World pay-per-view going down this Saturday. Jay Briscoe. Uh, we'll be taking on Mark Briscoe, the American Tag Team, uh, the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. We'll be taking on Rhett Titus and Cliff Compton and Caprice Coleman and Cedric Alexander. Um, Matt Tavin, their TV champion, will be defending his belt against Jimmy Jacobs and Jay Lethal. Kevin Steen will be meeting Matt Hardy. Roderick Strong is taking on Adam Cole. Michael Elgin is taking on Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, the American Wolves. I'm a huge mark for those guys are taking on Adrenaline Rush, ACH, and Tadarius Thomas, and BJ Whitmer will be taking on Mike Bennett. Of course, you can watch it on iPay-Per-View, and for more information, make sure to ROH Wrestling, head over to ROHWrestling.com. So, we all know that, you know, we closed out Monday Night Raw with CM Punk and Brock Lesnar, and logic would dictate that they would be meeting at Money in the Bank, but honestly, WWE's probably going to lean towards doing it at SummerSlam because think about it money in the bank sells itself it's probably one of the uh one of the new paper one of the newest pay-per-views that really took off at introduction it always does well and I think that in my opinion the Brock Lesnar CM Punk match would actually detract from that card but I think it would be a tremendous card for SummerSlam personally I think that Brock Lesnar and CM Punk and Paul Heyman can extend that feud with plenty of build-up to a match at SummerSlam. So I'm hoping that that's really the direction they go in. And um, it's something I personally am looking forward to. Uh, Jim Ross also shared some details on a new Blu-ray and DVD coming out about the Legends of Mid-South Wrestling. That's going to be available September 10th. There's a couple of really solid matches in there. Jim Duggan taking on Buzz Sawyer from 1985 and a steel cage match with Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death taking on Jake the Snake and the Barbarian. Definitely solid matches there. Also, um, I, I would like to see the match, uh, the North American title, 
between Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase. Those are definitely matches I'd like to see. Like I said, Legends of Mid-South drops on DVD and Blu-ray on September 10th. As soon as a pre-order is available, you'll be able to order it through the MyTakeRadio.com Amazon store. If you guys have been keeping up with the dirt sheets as of late, you'll know that, um, you know, Natalia and Tyson Kidd are engaged and scheduled to be married. It looks like WWE is getting on the uh, keeping up with the Kardashians bandwagon as they are looking to film Natalia's bachelorette party for the Total Divas show. And they're also looking at doing the wedding on the Total Divas show as well. So. There you have it, ladies and gents. Uh, Natalia and Tyson Kidd are officially in Kardashian territory with their bachelorette, bachelor and bachelorette parties, plus their wedding being televised on the E! Total Divas show. <laughs> God help both those guys. Um, Fandango, as you know, is out with a concussion currently, and there's a lot of concern backstage with regards to that because the guys suffered a couple of concussions prior to making his main roster debut. And, you know, concussions are definitely serious business, especially if you guys know that concussions are what cut the career short of Chris Nowitzki. So, you know, I I definitely commend them for keeping a close eye on Fandango's recovery and really taking an aggressive stance on doing, um, you know, make monitoring any of their talent that get concussions. So we'll see what happens with Fandango in the coming weeks. And I'm sure he'll be back and they'll be monitoring him very closely. No, Mortis, Natalia, and Kali are not really dating. <laughs> Way to be facetious, Mortis. I, I, re- I definitely puts a smile on my face. Uh, last but not least, I'm, I'm actually sad to announce that Matt Stryker is no longer with the WWE. He said on Twitter that they did not renew his contract. So as of today, June 20th, 2013, well, now June 21st, Matt Stryker is no longer a WWE employee. But... Um, He got picked up real quick. He will be doing the commentating for Family Wrestling Entertainment, which is the FWE show going down uh, this week, Uh, you know, tomorrow. Well, not this weekend, uh, today, as a matter of fact, 21st. So you guys can check that out as well. If you guys are interested, you'll be able to watch that FWE card via iPay-Per-View. The FWE champion Carlito will be defending his belt against John Morrison, Paul London will be taking on Jimmy Wang Yang. Brian Kendrick's taking on Petey Williams. Uh, Maria Kanellis and Ivelisse Velez are going to be taking on Angelina Love and Katarina Lay, which was winter. Uh, the Young Bucks are going to be taking on Tony Nice and Jigsaw. You're also going to see appearances by Bandito Jr. and Chris Masters. Last but not least, of course, like I said, High Intensity 2 goes down this Sunday, 1618 Weirfield Street, Ridgewood, New York. Doors open at 4 p.m. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up wrestling for this week. It is 1.50 in the morning Eastern Standard Time. Just a quick reminder for those of you listening on the Blog Talk radio feed, that feed will go off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure to head over to MyTakeRadio.com, click the Listen tab, and you'll be able to listen to the show live right there on the site. Anyway, let's get into this week's video game news, shall we? Alright, so let's start off with Ubisoft and the news that not only do they have Assassin's Creed 4 coming out, but they are working on two more games on in the Assassin's Creed franchise. Um, 
Yves Gelmat spoke with Kotaku and said that there are actually three games in franchise development which they're going to use to introduce further innovations to the game. So you got four plus two games. Well, now actually four plus three games is where they seem to be going. So you're going to be seeing a lot of Assassin's Creed for, for the foreseeable future. Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag hits stores October 29th for the 360 PC, Wii U, and PS3 with releases also scheduled for the next generation consoles as well. As we all know, next-gen consoles have been quite the talk of the town recently. The last two episodes of MTR have been dedicated to E3, post-E3 coverage, but this week is no different as we are starting to get more news regarding the upcoming systems. Uh, Obviously, on the PlayStation 4 front, it was revealed that PlayStation Plus would be required to participate in online multiplayer games on the PlayStation 4, but... That is not necessarily a blanking a blanket statement, excuse me. Sony confirmed actually that free-to-play online games like DC Universe Online and Planet Side 2 will not require the service. According to Sony, the PS Plus service will only be required for priced games. Obviously, DC Universe Online and Planet Side 2 have been games that are been confirmed as being brought forward to the PS4 at launch, so those games will be free to play online. So there you have it. If you're a fan of DC Universe Online, which I actually started playing the game late in the game. I actually started playing it late in the game, so to speak. And it's a, it's a really cool game. I enjoy it. So I'm glad to see that when they bring it forward to the PS4, it will still remain free to play. Now, the big news this week, obviously, is Microsoft's stance on DRM, which we'll be discussing later on. The other news that came out of the Microsoft camp is that Xbox One games will, will retain their $59.99 price point. They are not going to go into, uh, you know, $70 and $80 territory, which is what everybody thought was going to happen. Games that, for the time being, will remain at $59.99. Sony, though, has not revealed any prices for first-party PS4 games, but all signs point to them offering similar price points for their PS4 games, much like they have for their PS3 games. Obviously, third-party games are a completely separate category altogether. With E3 behind us, it seems that the Expo continues to grow, with this year's Expo taking in 48,200 attendees. That's an increase of over 2,500 people from 2012. It brought in about $40 million in revenue to the city of Los Angeles. E3 2014 is set to go down June 10th through the 12th at the Los Angeles Convention Center. So E3 continues to grow, and with that said, there's a lot of outlets that cover the event, which, you know, they're questionable, to say the least. But I will say this, it's good to see E3 is growing, and Slick just informed me that first-party PS4 games have been confirmed at $59.99, as per a link he shared with me via computerandvideogames.com. So there you have it, courtesy of Slick. Uh, Sony's games will stay at fifty nine ninety nine for PlayStation Four. Thank you, Ravage, as well for confirming that. See, this is why I love uh, our guys in the chat keeping keeping me in the loop with this stuff because sometimes the news I get end up getting updated even before I go on air. So thank you guys for that. Anyway, the big the big one, the big thing that we always love talking about. Let's talk about MPD numbers. Uh, the MPD numbers for the month of May were very interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, 
let's go through the top 10 games sold in the month of May. Number 10 was Lego Batman 2, DC Superheroes. Number 9 was Battlefield 3. Number 8 was Bioshock Infinite. Number 7 was NBA 2K13. Number 6 was Metro Last Light. Wow, shocking. Uh, Number 5 was Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon for the 3DS. I didn't even know that had come out. Any of you guys playing Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, let me know. Uh, Dead Island Riptide was number 4. Donkey Kong Country Returns was number 3. Call of Duty Black Ops 2 was number 2. And Injustice Gods Among Us was number 1, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. But the biggest shock is that the Xbox 360 is not the top console for the month of May. Oh no, not at all. On the contrary, it was beat by the Nintendo 3DS. The handheld saw a 60% software sales growth over the last year, including three titles in the top 10, of course, Donkey Kong Country Returns, Luigi's Mansion, and Lego Batman 2. So there you have it. The Nintendo 3DS beat out the 360 as the top console for the month of May. And just as Gods Among Us, of course, retained the top spot, and but accessories did see a slight drop of 6%. So, you know, part of that, obviously, last year was because of all the Skylander sales, which have been quiet this year. So there you have it. I'm I'm not shocked that Injustice Gods Among Us was in the number one slot just because it was a game that's kind of been picking up steam over the last couple of weeks. And plus, there have been some some price cuts here and there. I think Best Buy had it at one point at forty nine. I saw one retailer had it on thirty nine. So There you have it. Defiance, though, did drop off the top 10 list for the MPDs this month. We shall see how June shapes up, considering that we have Remember Me, and we also have The Last of Us as well. I'm curious to see which of those two great titles will be number one next month in the MPD numbers. Slick has already shared his review for Remember Me, and he is currently playing The Last of Us. Be on the lookout for his review within the coming days. So... The biggest news, and this this went down yesterday, that had the the gaming industry in 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 a tizzy, was the fact that Microsoft decided to change their policies on DRM in order to obviously deal with the backlash. They decided to change their policy, and this is what they're going to be doing from now on. With um, you know, here's here's how it's going to shape up. The Xbox One from now on will not require an online connection to play offline Xbox One games. After a one-time system setup with a new Xbox One, you'll be able to play disc-based games without ever connecting online again. There's no longer a 24-hour... 90 seconds. There goes the English lady telling me I have 90 seconds. Uh, There is no 24-hour connection requirement, and you can take your Xbox One anywhere you want to play your games, just like the Xbox 360. Trade-in, lend, resell, gift and rent disc-based games like you do today. There are no limitations. It works just like it does with the Xbox 360. In addition to buying the disc at the retailer, you can also download games from Xbox Live on the day of release. If you choose to download your games, you'll be able to play them... 60 seconds. Thank you, English woman. Uh, You'll be able to play them offline just like you do today. Xbox, Xbox One games will be playable on any Xbox One console, and there will be no regional restrictions just a quick reminder for those of you listening via the blog talk radio feed that feed will go offline in approximately two minutes you can head over to mytakeradio.com and click the listen tab and listen to the show live 
via GFQ or Mixler. So there you have it. Xbox One making the big change. Obviously, they're saying it because of gamer feedback, but I think primarily because they know that Sony, in essence, grasped more of the gamer's attention with a lot of the stuff that Xbox One did not offer. It's going to really be interesting to see. If- ten seconds. All right, already. Fuck, ten seconds. I wish you guys didn't have to hear her bitching in my ear all the time. We got it. Ten seconds. Anyway, I really wish that, you know, the the gaming industry just found a way to, to make it that the gamers wouldn't have to react so negatively to see change being done. And this is something I tell you guys often, and that's instead of going on Twitter and complaining, make your voices heard in, in a unified front. I mean, that's part of one of the reasons that Microsoft decided to, cha- to change their stance. Everywhere they went, it was just negative from start to finish. And this this goes without saying that when you unite as, as a whole and try and do something that benefits all of us, we all benefit. That's how I see it. With, with the Xbox One, it was no exception. I mean, think about it. Everybody at E3 complained. Gamers complained. Our, our staff complained on air. I mean, uh, Quark and, and Slick last week, they, we, you know, we, we ripped the Xbox One to shreds for all of their stuff. I mean, we're still going to make fun of Killer Instinct Jago Edition, but on the on the subject of DRM, I have to give credit where credit is due, and I have to acknowledge the fact that, that Xbox and Microsoft, they were fucking scared. They knew that going into this battle, Xbox truly had, I mean, PlayStation truly had the upper hand going in. That's not to say that PlayStation would have been the clear winner or not, but in terms of just reaching mass appeal they really had the upper hand and i you know I, I commend them for that i know a lot of people are going around and they're like oh xbox did a 180 and xbox was scared and blah 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 no xbox did what was right microsoft and xbox did what was right for business and at the end of the day it's the gamers that benefit i don't give a shit i'll be 100 percent honest with you i don't give a fuck which system is the better system I care about just enjoying the games and being able to not have to deal with that, you know, with uh, always on internet connections and being able to rent games when I feel like it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the thing that gets me is, you know, and Ravage brought it up, you know, pre-orders were, were a huge factor. And I'm sure that when they were doing their market research, they saw that the PS4 was being viewed more favorably. I mean, these are the kind of things that, that really get people's attention. Numbers and money don't lie. Not only that, but GameStop and Gamefly and all these companies, even though you want to stamp them out and you want to eliminate them from the equation, they are a factor in moving units. Think about it. The average person that doesn't want to go to Amazon or doesn't want to go to to any online retailer is only going to go to Best Buy, Walmart, Target, or GameStop. The only other outlets that you can cite separate from those are Costco and BJ's. But seriously, you're, it's either Best Buy, Target, Walmart, or GameStop. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> I understand game companies hate GameStop. They hate that GameStop makes so much revenue on the backs of their work. I understand that. But this is what's got to be done. Until the United States has high-speed broadband across the entire country... You can't make a diskless console. It Not yet. I guarantee you, within five years, if we have a solid 
internet infrastructure across the country, systems will be exactly that. You'll be able to download your game and you'll be able to eliminate the middleman. You'll eliminate the retailer. But until that time, you need these retailers to sell your products. It's the, it's the same shit. I like what Mortis says. I can't imagine if they restricted the sale of used cars. I've never had a brand new car in my life. That is a perfect analogy to describe that. You got to look at, at at kids and families that save every every penny to give their kid at Christmas whatever next-gen system they want. You know, it happens. I know countless parents that say, hey, you know, I'm going to save a couple of bucks every month because I want to get my kid this new PlayStation. He really enjoys it. He's earned it, blah, 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 or this new Xbox. And again, parents, they'll go. Maybe they'll buy the system. They'll buy one new game and they'll buy a couple of used games for their kids. I actually know personally, without naming names, parents that'll go and they'll buy a couple of used games, take the stickers off clean up the boxes, and wrap them up for their kids. The kid isn't going to give a shit. They're just going to care about the game. This is, this is just how shit is. And it, and it boggles my mind how, you know, it took this, this amount of negative press to get the game, you know, to get Microsoft to switch gears. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. What happens to the families on fixed income or lower income households who rely on buying used games for their children or renting games from Redbox or Gamefly because they can't go and buy the newest game for their kid right away. You are stamping out a user base that is just as passionate about games as the people that go and lay out money every week to buy new releases. It's the same shit. But I know that I'm not the only one that has some say about this. I know Slick is on the line as well, so let me bring him in. Slick, what's up, dude? So Microsoft did the big 180. Everybody's like, see, told you. But at the end of the day, it's all about what's right for business. Well, as far as Microsoft changing their stance on used games, it's a it's a good thing. Not not even in the sense that people were like, what the fuck with the whole whole you know, banning new games and stuff. It's a good thing because we've been saying this forever that gamers as a whole need to stand up and complain about shit because that's the only way things will change. That's right. And the the pre-orders are, you know, they spoke volumes. Yep. Microsoft wasn't seeing what they wanted to see. And they saw the complaints online, so they changed their stance. Oh, there must have been. There was and a like, lot of there was a lot of fear running through the streets of Redmond, Washington, dude. I'll be a hundred percent honest because you're a hundred dollars more, and your system is handcuffed, handcuffed from 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 soup to nuts. It's handcuffed. It's like yeah, the games are good, and I'm glad I could watch TV on it. But really, I can't rent a game. I can't rent a fucking game. I have to pay 60 bucks all the time. Oh, I can't borrow a game from my buddy. I can't, I can't lend the game. Get the fuck out of here. That's what, that's what gaming was built on. It's not just a camaraderie or playing on Xbox live. It's going to your friend's house and borrowing a game or playing a game at your friend's house and saying, Hey, can I borrow this for a few days? And maybe becoming a fan of a franchise that you may have never tried. 
But the funny thing about it is two things that I read online this week that, that made a lot of sense, and one of them that I had thought of myself. First of all, on the used game front, it came out of, of all companies, Nintendo, from both Reggie Fizumi and Iwata-san. They said, if you don't want if you don't want these companies like GameStop to make all this money off of used games, make better games. I can agree to that. They, they basically said, make games that the consumer couldn't bear to part with. Like they used a game like, they used Mario Kart as an example. They said, someone might play the hell out of Mario Kart and think, eh, I'll sell this game. But then when it comes time to actually take it to GameStop or whatever, they're like, you know what? I don't really want to sell this game because, you know, when my friend comes over, you know, I'm going to want to pop shit and, you know, say I can beat your ass in Mario Kart or whatever. Just have it, have that game to be able to play with them. Okay. And a game like Mario Kart is one that people, you know, don't run and go take the GameStop to trade in. But just make games that people are gonna want to keep. Well, that's a factor, but it's also a factor of replayability. You gotta you gotta look at it like this: you Mario Kart never gets old because Mario Kart can be played at all times. It can be played by anybody. People can come over and grab a controller and get involved. Th- those are games that stand the test of time. Same thing with Mario Brothers. I mean, you know, in 1985. I can honestly say my mother had never played a video game in her life, but she watched this little tiny Italian plumber run across the screen and stomp on turtles. And she thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And what did she do? Hey, let me play that. And every game since then, every Mario game, she, every game system that I had, she'd want to play some type of a Mario. She never knew the difference. To, to her, every system was a Nintendo, which is, you know, that that's old people. You know, every system to her was a Nintendo. And she, you know, she, I'd play Crash Bandicoot, and she knew Crash Bandicoot was not the same as Mario, but she equated it to Mario. And that's what I'm saying. You know, Iwata and, and Reggie fils make a make a valid point. It's like, yo, you want your games to stand the test of time? Don't half-ass your games. The only thing that Nintendo is guilty of is going to the well once too often. Nintendo's games, they do they do stand the test of time. Like, Mario Kart never gets old. Uh, Smash Brothers never gets old. If I, fucking, you know, Animal Crossing. I, I know, guys, shit, our very own Quark is going hard with Animal Crossing right now. Games that stand the test of time will always keep customers around. That's why Nintendo... Is, is such a, a ride-or-die company. Everybody that plays Nintendo is invested into their franchises, whether it's Metroid, Zelda, Smash Brothers, Pokemon, Mario Kart, because those are games that anybody can play them and they never get old. Take notes, third-party developers, and stop releasing incomplete games. Am I wrong? It's like the, the games they make, they, they focus even on some of the better games, like, like you said, I'm playing The Last of Us, and I'm, I'm looking, it's like, a lot of games, they focus on, like, these fetch quests, like, I find in The Last of Us, they have me looking for these fucking stupid medals and shit, and I'm like, can I just, you know, beat up some fungus-faced zombies and shit? 
and stop looking for medals? Can I keep this little 14-year-old girl alive and beat some people in the face? It is true. And stop looking for fucking medals? I'm like, you take a game like Ocarina of Time. They actually sold a minigame, separate from that game, based on a minigame in that game. A fucking fishing game. A Zelda fishing game, because people love that shit that much. Well, look at that Legend of Zelda Four Swords game. Who would have thought people would have would have would have been digging a multiplayer Zelda game? But they did. Multiplayer link to the past. Yep. People people were digging and they that. They did it again for another one. I forgot which one, but they did it for a second Zelda game. And I think the new one, the new um, 3DS one, is going to have four player as well. Well, even even Mario. Look at all the new Mario games that they put out. They're all about it's it's basically the same Mario games we've played just with multiplayer. <laughs> you know, like Nintendo. Nintendo is just trying to be slick. You know, no pun intended. With um, with the with the way that they're they're marketing their games, it's like, oh yeah, play this brand spanking new Mario game, which is just Mario with four characters. Thanks. Like, you know, like, I, I actually commend them for doing some different stuff with Mario Kart. Um, I read an article about Smash Brothers and how selecting characters for the game is this incredibly stressful process. And, you know, but, but before I get your take on it, I really just want to say, stop, stop being fucking idiots. Really? It's like, oh, it's incredibly stressful to pick the character for Smash Brothers. Are you fucking kidding me? It's called look at your Nintendo lineup and pluck every character you feel like and throw them in the game. It's not even that. It's look at the internet and see what people are asking for. Well, th- well, that goes without saying, but I'm just saying like like Mario. You know Mario's a given. If you did a Smash Brothers without Mario, you better put Luigi in there or Wario. Or, there better be so, uh, there better be some sort of a, of a of of an incarnation of a fucking plumber. It's like doing Street Fighter with Ryu, and people weren't happy when they took freaking Liu Kang out of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I think I think that that the problem is, you know, um, King Jimmy in the chat says they need to make sure that the Wii U and the 3DS have the same characters. That kind that kind of sucks. But even still, even with regards to picking the characters, why if 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 you want the characters for both systems to match? then just pick the fucking characters in one shot. That's what I'm saying. Like, to make it so stressful, it's like it, it, they're, they're giving themselves more unnecessary stress. It's like Mario on the Wii U, Mario on the 3DS, Pikachu on the Wii U, Pikachu on the 3DS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's the fucking problem? I mean, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't with, put the same characters on most. Well, I mean, look... That they they I think they're doing that because between you and I I think that the graphical capabilities of the 3ds are, are aren't that far off from the Wii U, not not to be an asshole but but seriously you know it's like not obviously there's a there's enough of a stretch but it it can't it can't be that much you know so with that with dude I would disagree after seeing again after seeing the the Xenoblade two um trailer i would disagree with that yeah but again that's a trailer we've seen we got to see if the game looks the same i'm not i'm not discounting i'm not discounting your opinion uh you know don't get it twisted on the contrary i'm sure you're right but i'm just saying from the standpoint of it's like whether you want to make the rosters match or don't don't make it seem like it's such a painstaking process because characters are characters 
you're going to want to play them. Sure, you could do different uh, different roster for the 3DS, and I'm sure that would be fine. I think my only gripe with that is that if you're doing the same rosters on, on both systems, then there should be cross-system play. Well, that's exactly what I'm getting at, because it probably won't be. And They said there won't be, but... I'm not saying to make a whole, an entirely different roster. Make, let's say, like, a difference of, say, anywhere from two to five characters. The core lineup will be the same, but have about two to five character difference on the 3DS from the, the Wii U. And that just goes back to their whole Pokemon strategy. Because you got, with the upcoming games, you got Pokemon X and Pokemon Y. There's at least, I would say, probably at least like four to five hundred of the same Pokemon in both games. But then you have the little differences. And yeah, that, I mean, that's what they should do with the 3DS and the Wii U. I think I think that that the roster is going to be solid, but I will say that regardless of who's it, who's in it, who's left out, somebody's going to complain. That's just that's just the nature of the beast, you know. But to 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 do all that and not do cross system play, you know, it kind of it kind of makes you question why they decided to make the rosters match on both systems. Unless down the road they release some sort of an update. Where it's like, oh yeah, surprise, cross system play, haha. But well, if they do cross system play, it'll probably delay the game because they're they're not working on it right now. No, no, no. I'm saying like if they re- if they release an update for it, I would say that's unlikely. But just because the you know the way Nintendo's worked, they usually don't have any drastic change like that. But um, who who knows? Yeah, I mean, but like we've always said with Nintendo, they 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 have. They have wonderful ideas and shitty execution sometimes. Because not for nothing, their E3 lineup, man, was was spectacular. They had some awesome titles. I was like, well, damn. I, I, I may just pick up a Wii U at some point. Not for $350 fucking dollars, but, you know, maybe one will fall off a truck. <laughs> just saying. Well, I have a feeling that there may be... Um, I doubt there's going to be a price drop this year, but definitely no. next year. I think when they look at their numbers this holiday season and they go, yeah, this kind of sucks, <laughs> they're going to be like, yeah. If they have some good games out this holiday season, they definitely won't have any problem going into the holiday, especially if they are able to bundle something together. But Mario Kart's not coming out until next year, so they won't be able to do a holiday bundle with that. Of course not. You're definitely going to see, like I said, there's, there's definitely the possibility of a red Wii U next holiday system being bundled with Mario Kart 8. I can see that. Well, while, while uh, we're on the subject, you know, I wanted to just wrap up the gaming segment. We were, you know, the, the whole thing with Xbox's DRM, of course, it wouldn't be, um, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, uh, whatchamacallit, it, w- it wouldn't be a complete victory for GameStop if they didn't release a statement. Because, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't they? They're like, GameStop welcomes today's announcement from Microsoft about changes in functionality for its next-generation console, the Xbox One. This is great news for gamers, and we applaud Mi- and we applaud Microsoft for understanding consumers and the importance of the pre-owned market. It's, it's it, it, Basically, to sum it up, it's... <laughs> That's what that was. 
That was GameStop saying, you see what you see what happens? You see what happens when you try to fight us on our own turf? You lose. You know, and Gamefly also Gamefly said, you know, I always felt good about the future of Gamefly, but I feel better today, said Sean Spector. He said, today is a win-win for consumers as well as Gamefly. I think choice is always important, and now customers have more choice, and I give Microsoft credit for listening to their consumers. Now, the reason I don't I don't shit on Gamefly the same way I do on, uh, with GameStop is because you rent the games, and eventually down the road, the games do, you know, like any like any other thing, the games, that they, they depreciate, and Gamefly sells them for, for a, a nice chunk but they're not, you know, they're not buying the games back from you. They're just saying, hey, this game's been rented a thousand times. But, you know, it's it's seen price drops in stores. If you want to buy it from us, just send us 20 bucks. It's not the worst thing in the world because the game reached multiple audiences. With GameStop, it's like, hi, 60 bucks for the game. Beat the game in three days. Ah, eh, let me go trade it and get something new. Ah, eh, we'll give you 20 bucks for it. Are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like that's, that's the, you know, that's my, that's always been my issue with GameStop coupled with their suspect business practices. The fact is it amuses me that they released that statement acknowledging that Microsoft did the right thing when they knew for a fact that if both PlayStation 4 and and Xbox One had found a way to get their games to consumers without them, it'd be game over. Pretty much. They go the way of Funko Lands. Because think about it, if retail, if, if if GameStop, I mean, if Xbox, if Microsoft and Sony figure out a way, not only that, and the bandwidth in this country improves, that you can release a game digitally on release date for for sixty bucks, eliminate the middleman, and own the game. You know, it gets installed to your hard drive, and you keep it on there forever. Why would you need to buy it? And then maybe within within three months, you can buy the game, quote unquote, pre-owned from them. Who wouldn't do that? I don't know. It's, 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 we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, when the consoles come out and when, you know, things start changing. Yep. But the whole thing was Microsoft changing their stance. I have to actually acknowledge Adam Sessler, who who um, went on record as saying he doesn't recommend that anybody pre-order either of the consoles as yet. Okay. Because he's basically saying the paint's not dry yet. He's like, things keep changing. You don't know what the final product is. And I had been saying it before I even saw him say this. I'm like, why is anybody pre-ordering the console when we don't have a release date of either of them yet? Because I, I almost jumped at the, the PS4 because ultimately that is going to be what I buy this year. But I was like, Neither console has a, a release date. We know November, but that's 30 whole days. When the fucking November is it coming out? Give me a date, and then I'll worry about putting my money down on it. Dude, I'm not buying either one on release date. Let let Put it like this. Let everybody kill each other, because at the end of the day, they're going. Microsoft and Sony are going to leverage the fact that the systems are quote-unquote limited, and then they're just going to, you know, the third-party market is going to flourish, you know, the eBayers and the Craigslisters are going to flourish. And then, you know, Jan- late December, early January, you'll be able to just buy the console at your at your leisure. The way, for me personally, I'm not missing anything because there's no backwards compatibility and I can still play games on the 360 and the PS3. Don't get me wrong. 
as part of my my work for for MTR, you know this as well as I do. We we gotta have the new shit. But am I am I am I gonna go out there and throw little Jimmy in front of a bus to be the first in line to get the systems? No, I give two shits. I don't care. It's not like they're giving me what one. But you know what the funny thing is? I, I, I see a couple of suspect outlets, some of the bigger sites, and they're like, yeah, man, Xbox, Microsoft got this in the bag, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and, and it's because, you know, they want to get those systems first, you know, so they can review the games. I mean, there's no harm in that because you're getting something in return. But me, it's like, yo, y'all are getting $500 of my money, maybe five, you know, nearly six because I got to buy a game. I get the shit when I feel like it. Screw that. You know? Cause that's that's it, dude. It's like it's like if you're giving me the system for free, I will gladly say that Xbox One will win the console wars. If you're gonna give me a PlayStation Four for free, I will gladly say PlayStation Four is the greatest home entertainment console of the new generation. But if I gotta get online and give up my hard earned money, it is what it is. I get it when I get it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. I gotta acknowledge King Jimmy who said that. They do have release dates, but that, that's something that's brand new. I've been saying this since last week, and it looks like they just got release dates like today. Well, the way I the see PS4, it is... Well, actually, they both say November 30th, at least as far as Best Buy. Right. Well, Which I, is odd to see them coming out after Black Friday. Well, the way I see it... Or is that... Xbox is going to come yeah. out during the anniversary of the Xbox console. So you know that's within... The time frame, like he he stated in the, uh, in the chat, November twenty first. I could kind of see that, kind of, you know, because it falls in line with the anniversary of the console. Makes sense. Sony, you know, they're gonna try and get out of the gate before that. So that's why, like the like the November sixteenth date, there 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 could be some traction there, only because Sony knows the anniversary of the of Xbox. You know, that's public knowledge. Yeah, but so is the anniversary of the the PS3. True. They could use that as well. They could leverage that as well. I tell you this much. Yeah, it's like not everybody does have a, a actual release date. Like I'm as I'm talking, I'm looking around. Like Amazon still doesn't have a solid release date. Best Buy saying November thirtieth. Well, looking at the at the calendar, uh, Mortis Mortis asked when. Thanksgiving is Thanksgiving is the 28th. So if they release it the 21st, then you you know, they have a nice upper hand because they got a couple of days in advance plus Black Friday. Now, if Sony strikes the 16th, they'll probably they'll probably they'll probably pull the trigger on a, on a Friday or a Saturday. Then most likely I'd like to say a Saturday so that they could get the campers you know, the campers that are camping out for consoles, which you know there's going to be some of those. So, that, like I said... I the, ain't camping out for shit. I will pre-order the thing if I'm getting it. That's it. And I will walk in there, say, give me my shit, and walk right out. That's it. But, you know, you got your campers. You got your dudes. Yo, man, I'm at the midnight release for the for the PS4. Nothing, nothing amuses me more than PlayStation 3 launching... And the Circuit City on old country uh, on uh, you know where the Source Mall was, everybody was online. Guy was online with everybody to buy the console. About half an hour before they were gonna let people in, guy went to his car, came back with his partner, stuck up everybody online, and robbed them. Wow. Yep. 
So it's like, I'm not camping out for shit because that's exactly what it is. The guy waited online with everybody else talking with him, whatever, tells the guy, hey, hold my spot in line, rolls up, guy gets out with a gun. He goes, wallets, cell phones in a bag now. Mind you, there were cops that were parked in the corner, but, you know, they couldn't see that far in. Guy came, wiped everybody out. Translation, I'm not camping out for shit. (laughs) That's how crazy it is, man. Well, I haven't camped out for a console since the week. There you go. Everything else, I'm like, yo, here's my money. I'll see you. I'll see you that morning. Hand me my box, and I'm leaving. No harm in that at all. Well, like I said, November is going to be a fun month, and there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be interesting, there's going to be interesting announcements from now till November. Let's just put it that way. I hear you. Anything else you want to add, my friend? I still haven't jumped on a pre-order, but yeah, that's about it, man. Yeah, I'm not jumping on no pre-orders either, dude. I'm just going to leave it alone. And and here's another another thing, another food for thought I got to throw out there for everybody, and that is these systems are going to come out. They may or may not have little bugs in them. Give give it give time for the bugs to get worked out. You know, how many Xboxes? That I'm not worried about because, like I said, I still have my launch PS3. Yeah, well, launch PS3s were built, they were built out of granite. My ps three still going strong, but, you know, how many 360s red-ringed? <laughs> I hear you on that, too, but then again, I won't have that issue. You should get a red-ring in front of an Xbox. Yes, sir, there you go. Give this man a prize. <laughs> All right, well, if you don't have nothing else to add, let me get into this uh, entertainment stuff to wrap this up. All right, bro. All right, my dude. See ya. Peace. All right, guys, that was our very own Slick. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at MTR Slick. Uh, let's get into some entertainment and bring this show to a close. Let's get the ball rolling. Let's get the ball rolling in the entertainment segment this week with John C. Riley joining the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy. He will be playing Roman Day, who is the leader of the Nova Corps. So there you have it. He'll be joining Benicio Del Toro, Glenn Coase, Chris Pratt, Zoe Zaldana, Lee Pace, and Michael Rooker. Originally, it was rumored that he was going to be playing Ronan the Accuser, but that is not the case. Definitely very interesting to see John C. Riley involved in this project. Um... As many of you know, and you can look this up also on Wikipedia, Roman Day was the leader of the Nova Corps on the planet Xandar when the planet was destroyed by the space pirate Zor. So, obviously, Day swore vengeance, chased him across the galaxy, and he ended up um, coming into orbit on Earth, and he sought refuge with a human who inherited his power. That human, of course, was Richard Ryder, who becomes Nova. Uh, Very interesting concept and of course John C. Riley being involved I'm sure he'll be involved for a couple of films if the Guardians of the Galaxy series takes off simple as that congrats to John C. Riley for becoming part of the Marvel family on the box office front let's not be shocked that the Man of Steel captured the number one slot earning 125.8 million dollars uh, taking the securing the number one slot by a huge margin this is the end came in at number two $32.8 million total. Now You See Me was number three. 
Fast and Furious 6 was number 4. The Purge was number 5. The Internship was number 6. Epic was number 7. Star Trek Into Darkness was number 8. After Earth was 9. And Iron Man 3 was number 10. You can check out our Man of Steel review on MyTakeRadio.com. It was published earlier today. Feel free to share your thoughts in the comments. I would definitely love to hear them. So, as I mentioned, Iron Man definitely secured itself uh, a sizable slot in the number 10 spot, but that's not all. Iron Man is just kicking ass left and right, including Robert Downey Jr. being signed on for a two-picture agreement for Avengers 2 and 3. Marvel.com announced that today. So we will be seeing a lot more of Iron Man in the Avengers. But, again, Avengers 2 and 3. For all intents and purposes, Iron Man 3 seems to have been the last solo Iron Man film. If that is the case, great. If not, I'm sure Robert Downey Jr. will hit them up for some more money. In some other Marvel news, Amazing Spider-Man 2 isn't even in theaters yet, but there are already release dates for Amazing Spider-Man number 3 and Amazing Spider-Man number 4. Part 3 is scheduled to hit theaters June 10th, 2016, and the fourth film is scheduled for May 4th, 2018 i actually i actually think it's a it's a smart ploy by sony to secure spider-man to ensure that marvel and walt disney do not try and get the rights back if anything if marvel and walt and walt disney choose to use uh spider-man they're probably just gonna have to pay sony some money and that's correct mortis robert downey jr is confirmed for avengers 2 and 3 so there you have it i mentioned that but Iron Man, no more Iron Man movies because that, that's not mentioned at all. Who knows? He may hit them up for more money if they want him to do an Iron Man movie. But the two-picture deal is for Avengers 2 and 3. And some other sequel news, a sequel to Prometheus is moving ahead as well. The Rap is reporting that 20th Century Fox has tapped uh, Jack Paglin, who did Transcendence, to write up the follow-up. As of right now, we don't know if Ridley Scott is 100% on board to return and produce the film, but as of right now, Jack Paglen is writing the follow-up. Also, Numi Rapace and Michael Fassbender, even though they are likely to reprise their roles, as of right now, they don't know the creative direction for this next film and if that will truly be the case. I honestly think that if Prometheus is not going to move forward with neither Numi Rapace or Michael Fassbender, then you should just leave it alone because those guys, uh, both those individuals actually made that movie worth watching mortis says they should call her prometheus's <laughs> well played mortis well played i found that remarkably amusing at 2 30 in the morning anyway a couple of months back i was saying that ryan reynolds was involved in a reboot of the highlander series turns out that that is no longer the case uh the rap reported that ryan reynolds departed the project after it was left hanging in november when Juan Carlos Fresnadillo walked away from directing the film. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was scheduled to play Connor McCloud, of course, with the lead character made famous by the one and only Christopher Lambert. As of right now, Summit is looking for a new director plus a new star for the film. So there you have it. The Highlander reboot with Ryan Reynolds is currently in limbo. In some Sin City news, A Dame to Kill For, which I was extremely pumped for, is no longer coming out on October 4th of this year, but instead has been bumped to August 22nd, 2014. So there you have it. If you've been looking forward to Sin City and you thought October was going to be the day for you, not happening. Denied. 
August 22nd, 2014 is the new release date for Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. There's tons of sequel news this week. Jurassic Park 4 is official for 2015 as per the licensing expo that went down in Las Vegas where a banner for the film was shown. The film, of course, is going to be shot in 3D. So there you have it. Jurassic Park 4 originally was scheduled to hit theaters June 13th, 2014, but it was now pushed back into 2015. So there you have it, guys. Crazy as it may be, I'm curious to see with the advances in special effects how a new Jurassic Park would do um, in theaters nowadays. I'm just curious to see how how it would fare because special effects have come along quite a bit since the original Jurassic Park films, which were considered revolutionary and ahead of their time. So from a curiosity standpoint, I definitely am looking forward to seeing another Jurassic Park film. Entertainment Weekly reported that Shailene Woodley, who was going to be playing Mary Jane in Amazing Spider-Man and appearing in Amazing Spider-Man 2, has been cut from the film. Any footage that she shot as the character will now appear in the third film of the series. As I mentioned, the third and fourth films have release dates for 2016 and 2018. Obviously, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is scheduled to hit theaters May 2nd, 2014. Right now, it looks like they're probably going to go with the Gwen Stacy dying scenario. I'm also hearing rumors that we may be seeing Black Cat. Plus, of course, Electro, uh, Harry Osborn, and the Rhino are going to show up. And there's a lot of rumors indicating that the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2 will end in a climax unveiling the Green Goblin. Whether that pans out remains to be seen. In some other Iron Man news, Walt Disney Pictures put out a press release saying that Iron Man 3 had... Wow, I said uh, Iron Man 2. Iron Man 3 has passed the $400 million mark domestically. It's made $1.2 billion worldwide. The film is now the fifth on the all-time list of the worldwide box office totals following Avatar, Titanic, The Avengers, and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Of course, Avatar being number one, Titanic being number two, The Avengers at the number three slot, Harry Potter at the number four slot. So there you have it. Iron Man 3 in the billion dollar category. If you guys read the announcement on MyTakeRadio.com, Netflix announced that they will be continuing their original series Hemlock Grove with a second season, which will be premiering 10 episodes in 2014. I'll be 100% honest, Hemlock Grove was weird as shit. And, um, you know, it is what it is. I see that King Jimmy is saying that she dies. I'm hoping you're joking and you are well-versed in Spider-Man King Jimmy because Gwen Stacy does indeed kick the fucking bucket. And um, if you want further clarification, definitely pick up some Spider-Man issues and you will see for yourself. But I have a feeling he is breaking my ball. So uh, welcome to the family, King Jimmy. Nice work. <laughs> I got to take a, take a moment and, um, you know, Acknowledge the passing of James Gandolfini, of course, known as the legendary Tony Soprano, amongst a litany of other characters that he's played, uh, passed away allegedly from a heart attack. Definitely sucks. I mean, as a, as a fan of the Sopranos, I remember um, James Gandolfini in True Romance whooping Rosanna Arquette's ass. That was one of my favorite memories of James Gandolfini. And then, of course, all his great work as Tony Soprano, of course, on behalf of MTR and uh the rest of you know the rest of the staff definitely our condolences to his family the the guy it's funny because everybody says great things about the about you when you're dead 
But I mean, James Gandolfini was 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 a cool dude. He did a lot of great stuff with our armed forces. Um, you know, it's 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 just crazy. You know, if if it was a heart attack, that's how it goes, man. You get caught in the craziest of places. But you know, the guy was in Italy for a film festival. I'm sure he was eating good, living good. It just sucks, you know. Like I said, the guy guy was in his fifties. It's crazy. Uh, what the hell is ah? Here we go. So, a couple of months back, we were talking about the Bad Teacher movie getting a a series on network television. Well, it looks like that's not only going to be the case. It looks like Bad Teacher will also be getting a sequel as well. The show is scheduled to air on CBS, and Cameron Diaz will be returning to the role as a Bad Teacher. No deal is official yet, but all intents are to bring her back to resume her role in bad teacher. So not only are you going to get a sequel for the movie, but you're also going to get a TV series as well. There's been some other changes in the box office. Those of you looking forward to machete kills coming out September 13th. will now have to wait till October 4th. Also home front has been moved from October 4th to November 27 to compete against black nativity and Disney's frozen. So there you have it. A couple of shifts in the box office. Just make sure to note your calendars accordingly. So I'm not shocked about this next bit of news in the least. According to the examiner, Dwayne Johnson is being courted to join the cast of Terminator five. As of right now, the rock has not officially signed on, but as I mentioned last week, we know that Arnold Schwarzenegger is a go for the fifth Terminator. Um, The movie is said allegedly to be set before the birth of Sarah Connor and focus on her parents in the 1940s and 50s. The scenario would involve Terminators being sent back in time to kill a target. None of this obviously is confirmed, but it's very interesting to see that this is the direction they want to go in. I'm not shocked that they want The Rock to to join the cast of Terminator. The Rock's stock has risen heavily in Hollywood after his work in G.I. Joe and his work in Fast and Furious. It's, it's a no-brainer to see him involved in the Terminator project. I don't know how I feel about, you know, you know, uh, Sarah Connor going back and it, trying to kill Sarah Connor. It's, it's weird because it just feels like they're rehashing what they did with John Connor. Um, it, it's, it's crazy. We'll, we'll see what pans out. I think adding the rock into the equation would be a good way to give the series some legs. I mean, Arnold isn't getting any younger, um, attaching the rock to it. I mean, the guy's a, a staple in the Hollywood action genre and adding another franchise to his belt. Isn't a bad move. Independence day is officially moving forward with a sequel being announced for July 3rd, 2015. Roland Emmerich will be back to direct Dean Devlin will be back to produce. So there you have it. Assassin's Creed also will be hitting theaters June 19th, 2015. So, it's it's crazy. Assassin's Creed is 100% go. June 19th, 2015 is the date. All right. So there you have it, ladies and gents. That actually is going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, you guys have just heard My Take Radio episode 189 for Thursday, June 20th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can feel free to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. 
You can also hit up the MTR feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you want to keep up with My Take Radio on social media, you can find us on Twitter, at My Take Radio. Look for us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash My Take Radio. Add us to your circles on Google+. You can also look for me on Instagram, rich underscore MTR. And, of course, you can always keep up with us by visiting MyTakeRadio.com. If you want the ultimate MyTakeRadio experience, make sure to pick up the official MyTakeRadio app available for Android and iOS devices. It's $1.99. You can access it from the Amazon Marketplace for Android and from iTunes for iOS. You get 96K stereo episodes of MTR, mobile wallpapers, and other exclusive content as well. You can also listen to MTR as always via Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, and the Zune Marketplace. And of course, TuneIn Radio is another option as well. We do ask that if you're getting the shows via iTunes, please take a moment and give us a review. We would really appreciate it, trying to crack that top 100 in iTunes, and every review helps. All right, guys, on behalf of myself, Slick, Ben, the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys uh, either pre-taped next week or we will be back live on July 3rd. That's what we, that's what it's looking like right now. The next live episode of MTR will be July 3rd. We'll see if that's the case, but either way, you can always keep up on our Facebook fan page, and I'll give you guys the scoop there, if anything. All right, guys, I'm out. Thanks for tuning in. Be well, John Spartan. Peace. That's all, folks.